Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is your host, Ian. Boy, do we got a show for you today. But before I tell you about that, remember, we are still on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. So please check them out. Uh, This week's YouTube has some really great pictures of uh, some of the stuff we talk about. And please subscribe. That subscribing really does actually help us. Um, Our guest for today is a Mr. Drew Wilson. He is going to wow you with tales of far-off dive locations, his personal brush with decompression sickness, and uh, he's going to tell us a story about that time he dug a megalodon tooth out of the uh, seafloor. So, without further ado, here is the podcast. Good to go? Welcome to Ocean Folk Podcast, the podcast where we speak to people who the ocean speaks to. We explore the stories of those who explore the ocean. Drew Wilson, the man, the myth, the legend. Uh, We're going to talk about some stuff today. So welcome to Ocean Folk Podcast. Thanks for having me. Okay, so we are officially starting and... um, uh, just so that people kind of know a little bit of your background with the ocean and how you got into it and kind of what your, how your interests led here, do you think you could talk a little bit about uh, yourself sure. and how you got involved? Sure. Uh, so I grew up in a family of divers. Uh, my stepdad had been certified since the mid to late 70s. Uh, my mom was certified in 90. Uh, I grew up working in my stepdad's shop. It was a spearfishing store that also did a lot of other sort of sporting goods. What was the name of it? It was called All Sports off of uh, Hawthorne Boulevard in Lawndale. Oh. Um, the Fathomiers used to meet there, which are a spearfishing club in Southern California. And so they'd come in and bring their fish, do weigh-ins, that sort of stuff. Uh, like I, competitions? Yeah, competitions. Cool. Yeah, so they'd, they'd do the scramble meet or something like that, and then they'd come, and he had the official scale that they would use to, to weigh the, the fish to see who, who won. Uh, so I, I grew up in a family of divers, and I was always going to the aquarium, to the zoo, watching nature documentaries, that sort of thing. Uh, I was always snorkeling. Problem was I had a, uh, an inability to clear my ears. There was something mm. blocking my eustachian tube. I... Uh, used to get really bad ear infections when I was a little kid. Oh, like yeah. Five, six, and I'm sure that mm-hmm. did something. Uh, and then in 2013, I was on a trip to Hawaii with a girlfriend at the time. And uh, I was chasing after, I think it was either sea turtle or pufferfish. And I just, I kept forcing myself to clear, kept forcing myself trying to clear. And I know you're not supposed to do that because you can rupture your right. eardrum. Right, it can go bad. Right. I never said I was the brightest bulb in the box. <laughs> you know, I was determined. We all do things We all time do to things. Times. That's right. That's yeah. right. Uh, I was determined. And I felt something pop in my ear. I, I could hear it just pop. And all of a sudden, I could clear. That's cool. And I, it was. I like that. I was so excited. I, as soon as I got back, I called my, my little brother up and said, Matt. We're getting certified uh, like next month. Oh, that's awesome! And so I I, I got certified um, that the, the the day after my final dive, my girlfriend at the time broke up with me. So Ooh, I was like, also had my weekends free. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> kind of serendipitous, <laughs> right? Right. Or so, silver lining, I guess, would probably be a more appropriate. Exactly. Expression. And uh, I think I did 150 dives my first year. So um, how old were you when you got certified? How old was I? Yeah. 
2013, I was like 31. Okay, okay. Uh, so you were an adult diver like myself. Yeah, yeah. I was. I was like, I, I would have been a kid diver if I had the ability to. Right, uh, of course. But so I was an adult diver, and I'm I'm rounding 700 dives at this point. That's nice, man. That's yeah, really so cool. I'm averaging about 100 a year when I can. Putting, you know, putting in the time. Not everybody does it. No judgment, but hey, it helps. Sure, sure. It definitely you stay helps. proficient. There's a lot of skills that can atrophy. So I, I discovered you from kind of two angles. I think the first I heard of you was kind of some of your tech stuff. Okay. And then I kind of came back around and realized that you're well, or I don't know if I realized, but I definitely watched you blossom into like a very good photographer. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and then. I really started to pay notice um, when you were very open with an experience that you had that most people either uh, hide because it's kind of a source of embarrassment. Um, you actually got DCS. Yes. Yeah. And and I think I think you might have benefited a little bit from the fact that you didn't actually do anything technically wrong, like you were all where you were supposed to, but. Um, I think it's a really interesting story in that, like, it demonstrates the kind of old saying that you kind of feel like when you're going through scuba classes or teaching scuba classes, you tell people, like, you know, biology trumps everything and you never know, but, like, you are that story. Yeah. And yeah. so, like, I'm kind of getting ahead of this here, sure. but I'll let you kind of go in and explain what, what actually happened. Sure. Uh, so... You know, I had been diving a number of years. This was Fourth uh, of July weekend, two thousand seventeen. Uh, I had about four hundred and seventy dives under my belt at that time. So a beginner. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just just starting out. Uh, you know, compared to some of my friends. Oh, of course. Still a baby. Yeah. Uh, I was tech trained at that point. I'd been diving a rebreather for a while. I'd been down to two hundred feet on trimix. Never had a problem that I was fully aware of. Uh, and my rebreather was in the shop getting serviced. I was getting my first stages, uh, you know, their annual maintenance done. Right. And so I was on open circuit. Uh, I was on the Pack Star. We had done. Shout some, out to the Pack Star. Yeah, great dive boat. Pack Star is a great dive boat. And we're so fortunate in SoCal to have so many great dive boats. Um, but we, we had done four dives that day. It was on the backside of Catalina. Uh, and I was diving with my Shearwater Petrol set to the liberal settings, which turned out to be very liberal. Yeah. And I would advise folks who have a Petrol or a Perdix or a Tarek or the new uh, Peregrine that's coming out soon to not use the liberal setting. To You should really stick with moderate or better. Well, especially on multi-dive days. Especially on multi-dive days. Like, yeah. I probably... Well, explain your... So you're on the backside of Catalina. Explain your dive profile before we start sure. talking about details. So, so you know, I was on the liberal setting on my computer, and I was diving fairly aggressively. I was riding my NDLs a bit. Uh, you know, I was probably within five minutes of my NDL uh, doing a no lot of – No decompression limit yeah, for no, those people who are not in the lingo. That's right. Sorry yeah. about that. Feel it's free okay. to stop me if no, I – No, it's okay. Um, you never know who's listening. That's true. That's All true. are welcome. Uh, anyway – so I was doing a lot of dives where a lot of the dives on the backside of the island are pinnacle dives. Right. So the way great, you, great, really interesting dives. Yeah. But deeper. Yeah. They, they tend to be deeper. And, and a common way to do a pinnacle dive is you, you start the dive at the very beginning deep. So you go down to maybe 100 feet. And then you sort of spiral your way back up. 
writing your you know, decompression limit as you go. So when you're at you know, five minutes at 100 feet, you then move up to 90 feet, it gives you another five minutes. And then when you're at five minutes left on your Nodico, you go up another 10 feet, and that gives you another five minutes. And you sort of ride that up. Uh, so I stayed within my no decompression limit the entire set of dives. Uh, I had done, I believe, four dives that day, and there was a fifth night dive that was scheduled. Um, I had a big camera rig with me. I was diving open circuit, uh, nitrox, I believe. And when I got back, oh, you were even on nitrox. Yeah, because yeah. the people often say like nitrox pushes out the pushes out the nit- nitrogen. Like that's why you take uh, you know nitrox. Well, it pushes out the nitrogen if you're diving it on air tables. If you're diving the, the nitrox tables and you're riding your limit, then still the it's limit, no yeah. different. It's still nitrogen in the gas. Yeah, of course. Uh, so I, I got back on the boat. My camera rig's about 25 pounds. And, you know, the back of those boats, they they sway, they bounce. You have to pull yourself up with all your dive gear. I think my single tank setup's probably in 75 plus. Yeah. Um, plus the camera. Plus the camera, right? So I handed it back up, got up, and I noticed that my shoulders uh, were hurting a little bit. Huh. Um, I... I I noticed that one of them hurt a little bit after the third dive, and I just I chalked that up to handing my giant camera overhead to the deckhand. Which which happens sometimes. You get up from a dive, and you know you tweak something, and you don't you know the water's moving. It totally happens. It happens a lot. And yeah. you you know everybody who's done a certain amount of dives has like one time where they're like, I thought I got the bends, and I was like, but I kept my mouth quiet, and everything turned out fine. Right. Which right. I don't know is the best plan, but sure, absolutely. And, and people do like legitimately just tweak their shoulder out absolutely. a little bit from hauling themselves up on the boat and, yes. and they're just fine and it's not anything DCS related. Yeah, and usually that's the case. And I should say like nine times out of 10 or nine, 99 times right. out of 100. Right. Know, probably that's the case. So, so, you know, I might've had something after that third dive where the one shoulder was like feeling a little weird. Uh, I came back from the, from the fourth dive and both shoulders were hurting this time. Mm. And I said, you know, I, I turned to my girlfriend and I said, you know, I'm not going to do the night dive with you. I'm just going to go down in the bunk. I don't want to push things. Like, something's a little strange. So you had an inkling at that point that things were not right. I had an inkling that maybe something was wrong. So I, I went down uh, into the bunk room after having taken my dry suit off to get out of my undergarment. I got in my undergarment, took my, my uh, clothes off, looked down at my stomach, and I was bright purple. I looked like Grimace. I had purple really? splotches all over my abdomen. So I've never really seen good photos until your experience, and I, you always wonder, right, like, would you know if you had it? And it's pretty obvious, at least in your case. It yeah. was pretty – there was no kind of, like, maybe. Well, you know, it was interesting because some people were still questioning even that. I actually, really? had, I actually had the captain say, uh, hey, did you change your, like, laundry detergent? Oh, like maybe it was an allergic reaction. Maybe it was an allergic reasonable. reaction. Yeah. That, reasonable. Yeah, it's reasonable. Um, and I said, no, no, I, I've been using the same detergent. Like, I, I am very clearly bent. And I was actually really rather happy that I had the skin bends because I couldn't rationalize that away. I couldn't say, oh, you know, I just, I, I hurt myself. That's an old weightlifting injury, something like that. Because I do have bad shoulders and bad knees and stuff like that. From yeah. Sports and whatnot. Uh, so, but when you're bright purple, it's really hard to argue with that. 
Uh, and I had my buddies take a bunch of photos of my abdomen that uh, I had then posted online, and I sent. That's you that's when I saw it. Yeah. And you posted, so you went you went above and beyond because you not only posted photos of your particular symptoms, but you also posted your dive profiles yeah. in a very um, specific, uh, clear, articulate like description of the event. Yes. Which I was wondering, was some of that? Do you have Dan? insurance i do have dan so and that's probably did they request that kind of information no no really no no i just i i I did it because i think there's a stigma in the dive community that people are afraid to talk about dcs you know there are undeserved hits and there are certainly deserved hits but you know what everybody makes mistakes and you can't stigmatize decompression sickness because Doing so prevents treatment, and a lot of the injury, a lot of the damage that is done through decompression sickness can be rectified if treated early. Quickly. Treated quickly, right. So if you don't address it, you don't put yourself on oxygen, you don't take a ride in the chamber, you know, that Dan will cover. I didn't pay a dime for my entire treatment, and we'll get into what all happened uh, in a minute. Do we have prices? Uh, I, no, I didn't even get a bill. <laughs> oh, well, that's the best price ever then. I, right. I, I got to fly in a helicopter. I got medevaced from the chamber to USC for overnight observation. Never, oh never saw a bill. So going back to the moment when you're like, I'm pretty sure Grimace has got bent. Right. Yeah. What, 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 was the, what was the moment? Like, what did you guys do there? Because so, you're backside of Catalina. Yeah, backside of Catalina. Thankfully, we had docked uh, at the Isthmus. Okay. So as many folks know, the Catalina Hyperbaric Chamber is at the Isthmus. So what I did was I went and put myself on um, the richest nitrox blend that the boat had. Okay. Uh, they didn't have a pure O2 at the time. I think they, they had like 80% available to me. It's not bad. Which, is, which was fine. It's higher uh, than most people use. Higher than, right. Which is, which is a great deco gas. That's what I use for, for decompression uh, on a lot of my dives. Uh, and I, I put myself on that and just sat there and, and breathed it for a couple of hours while they were finishing their docking at, at the uh, isthmus and were prepping the uh, little dinghy to be able to take me to the island. And, you know, the captain said, he goes, look, you're not a spring chicken. I know you know your stuff. If you think you're bent, I'm happy to, you know, spin everybody up and take you to get you uh, treatment. I said, yeah, let's, let's pull that trigger because I'm purple. I should not be purple. Let's... Not my natural color. <laughs> right, not not. You know, I look good. Don't that, get me right, wrong, but right. not my natural color. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, what was amazing? Did you have to, to call me... ahead to the chamber and be like, "Hey, is anybody home?" Uh, well, no. The chamber's staffed twenty four seven. Yeah, which is amazing. The volunteers that work there are wonderful folks. They take time out of their schedule. They're not paid. That's and, so crazy. And, oh yeah, yeah. No, they're they they do wonderful work, and I've got a number of friends who who volunteer there. Um, so I put myself on 80% and I was breathing it in the dinghy on the way to the dock. What was amazing was by the time I got to the chamber, all of the purple modeling on my skin was basically gone. Really? Yeah. The pain just with 80% oxygen? Just with the 80% oxygen. That's all, impressive. The pain in my shoulders was basically completely gone. There was a little patch uh, of, of purple modeling on one of my shoulders that the, the folks at the chamber could see. But I mean, my, my 
stomach from you know basically nipples down was very purple. So did they gone. did they question your diagnosis? Were they like, ah, come on, man? No, no. I you know I, one of the reasons I wanted to have my friends take pictures of it was so I could show them. That's a good point. Did um, you is that what you were thinking when you yeah, did it? That oh. was that was one of the things I was thinking when, uh, when I did that. I don't know if I'd have that foresight. I'd, I'd probably just be like trying to kick down the door of the chamber and be like, sure. let me in. Well, you know they're all volunteers there and frankly bored out of their mind. Uh, looking for company. Looking for company, yeah. So they were excited when I got there. Uh, and because I had what's called type 1 DCS, mm-hmm. which is the the skin modeling and uh, muscular skeletal, um, but with the skin modeling, there's sometimes a neurological component to it that manifests later. Mm. So even though I was functionally asymptomatic by the time I got to the chamber, they decided to put me in uh, for a four-hour ride just in case. Oh, really? Yeah. I heard the, maybe this is not true, but I heard the least amount of time you could go in if they were going to admit you was six hours. Uh, I don't know if that's true. I, I'm pretty sure mine was four. I, uh, I, listen, I take your word for it sure, over my sure. hearsay. Well, they, they, they in the chamber, they dive you down to 60 feet, at least for right. the table that I did. Uh, they put you on pure O2, so your PPO2 at that point, you know, what? Two, three, basically. Yeah. You know, because you're about three atmospheres down uh, at that point. Uh, didn't didn't tox on that. You know, you, you always hear when you're taking your nitrox course, oh, my God, if you go b- below, you know, 1.6 partial pressure of oxygen, you're going to convulse and you're going to black out. Well, but it's all, it's always more complicated than that, right? Sure. Because it depends on depends how on much, workload. yeah, workload that yeah. you're doing. Because yeah. that's what everybody... No, let's not go down that hole, but it's more complicated than sure. just the partial pressure that you're in. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, you're, you're lying on a gurney while you're in the uh, you're in the chamber. It's not a dance party in there. No, no, yeah. not, not at all. They, they stick an IV in you, mm-hmm. uh, which was very interesting because they're doing it at 60 feet of pressure. And I had blood that just squirted everywhere. It was all down my arm. It was on the gurney. Oh I don't know God. if it's because of the pressure yeah. or the guy just like, really missed the vein or something like that. But, Volunteers, you know, you get what you pay for. Uh, yeah. It, it, he was, the guy was so nice. The, oh, of course. All, all of them are. Um, the, the, he's the, like, I didn't think anybody would ever let me actually stab the, him with this. Right, so, yeah, yeah. He's super excited. He was, he was so excited to, uh, to get to do that. And he, he the, the volunteers ride in the chamber with you the entire time. Uh, and they, they do that. So what was time. what was our volunteer's name? Do you remember his name? I don't. It was so <laughs> it, so many years ago at this point. What That's I, what funny. I do remember is the really horrible twenties music they were playing through. Twenties uh, pe- like nineteen twenties. Yeah, like Roaring Twenties music. Like uh, like uh, ragtime and flappers. And... Yeah, yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So I'm sitting there with with basically an aviation gas mask on while they're pumping Pure O2 into me, having to listen to this. 20s music sounds like a surreal for, experiment it, it, it is a little bit I, I feel like i was in like a bomb shelter or something it it's kind of what it feels like yeah you know and and there's there's no real bathroom in there so when you have to get up to go pee because you're in there for four hours while they're pumping fluids into you yeah. like they kind of give you a pan and say there's a corner wow uh, that's fun yeah yeah well you know we're, we're divers we've got you know no 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 shame in half that stuff <laughs> That's true. Okay, so you're in there for four hours. You make really good friends with uh, Bob Doe. Sure. And uh, you pee in the corner. You get out. 
Well, they, so they, they fly in a doctor from the mainland. Right, because the volunteers are not doctors. That's correct, yeah. Okay. So they, they do a, a you know, consultation over the phone with the doctor, and then they fly in somebody from the mainland who comes in. There's, there's an, like an airlock to the chamber, so you can have people go in and out. Oh, that's, um, that's fancy. Yeah, which is, which is really nice. Um, you know, there's, there's only one main chamber. Certain other chambers, there, there's multiple sections, so you can dive people to different depths or do different table plans with them. Hmm. This one only has, has the one. Um, and so he, he evaluated me. Um, and then once I was done with my ride, I was completely asymptomatic. Uh, but they decided that it'd be a good idea to observe me at, uh, at USC afterwards. And they asked if I was willing to do that. And I said, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm along for the ride. Like, you're the doctor. I'm an intellectual property attorney. What the heck do I know? Well, isn't that weird when a doctor turns to you and says, what would you like to do? And it's like, what? Bro, right. what should I do? Right. Well, I got the <laughs> You're making the big bucks for a reason. Exactly. Well, and I got the impression like this was this this doctor's. He, I think he was a resident. Yeah. Okay. He was as excited about the helicopter ride as I was. Ah. I mean, he whipped out his cell phone. He was recording the whole thing. I'm like, I'm looking over at him. You know, with the fire department, they've got their sheet, you know, visors down and their headsets on. I'm like, if he's recording, I'm gonna take some pictures because that, you know, why what, not? What else am I gonna be in a How, first time in a helicopter? Hopefully, you'll never be in that experience yeah. again. Well, you know, I found the whole thing super interesting because I was asymptomatic by the time I got into the chamber. So like, I the, wasn't scared anymore. Which I, is good. I wasn't concerned. Yeah. Like, you know, I, they, they did a neurological evaluation, and I, I had, didn't have any symptoms. I wasn't stuttering. I didn't have any partial paralysis. I, I oh, God, could you imagine? Line. Could yeah. you imagine if in that moment you realized that your your nerves are not working the way they're supposed to? I mean, that would, that would be, be a terrifying moment. You're like, oh, my God. That would be a terrifying moment. So thankfully I didn't have any of that. And yeah. so the whole thing was just really interesting because you always hear right. stories about what it's like. And so I'm going through it like – feeling basically fine to me this is all precautionary measure at this point uh but so, you still get to go through the experience but i still get to go through the experience and like i said got to ride on a helicopter for, my, for the first time and so was it actually the chopper that you rode on was it one of the uh coast guard ones or uh fire department LA okay. County fire department so I think okay modified blackhawks um, oh seriously yeah it was really cool to see downtown from the helicopter that's yeah. Listen, after people hear about this, they're going to be lining up to go get Ben. the chamber. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and be like, hey, man, drop me off at the island. I'm feeling a little bent. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a trippy experience. It was. It was. And what, I, what, was your, what was your takeaway? Uh, I mean, I, I, think, I think you kind of already gave away your takeaway as far as, like, don't push the limits of your dive computer. Right. Definitely, definitely don't push the limits of your dive computer. Don't set it to the liberal setting. Um, and, but I also, you know, wanted to know why I got hit because this was dive 470 something. And like I said, I'd been to 200 feet on Trimix. I'd done hours of decompression. Wasn't a problem before. Uh, and I, I had the doctor, my primary care doctor was willing to explore a little bit with me. And so they did what's called a bubble test to see if I had a PFO. So is this where they do like a, a Doppler scan of your bloodstream That's to determine? Correct. Well, so it's not actually of your bloodstream. It's of your heart. Oh, no kidding. So, so what they do is you, you lie in a bed um, with, with a, an ultrasound machine. Uh, they start an IV. They put two syringes that they mix with a saline solution to create micro, micro bubbles. And 
they inject the micro bubbles into your bloodstream. And at that same time, they either push on your, on your chest or they have you grunt and bear down like you're lifting something heavy. And what that grunting does is it puts pressure on your chest cavity and it can cause, if you have a PFO, it'll cause the PFO to open up and allow blood to short circuit from the lungs. And just so people know what PFO is. Oh, you're not going to. Pulmonary. It's patent uh, PFO. Patent. We should look this up. We should look this up. But in in short. It, what... it's, a, it's a hole in the wall of your heart. Okay. Uh, that, that everybody, basically a quarter of the population has this. And right. For the it's, most part, and it's, it's not a problem. It doesn't, for whatever reason, it doesn't cause problems in most people except for very specific circumstances. Correct. Correct. Uh, there are are some theories that uh, PFOs have a correlation with unexplained strokes mm. because your lungs filter out blood clots. Mm. And so if you have a big enough PFO and you get enough of these blood clots that skip the lungs and skip the filtering, they can build up and cause strokes. Oh, okay. Um, there are some people who theorize that PFOs have a correlation with migraine headaches. That's one of the things they'll test to see if you've got uh, really? bad migraines. Yeah. How could those be related? I, I'm, I'm not a There's doctor. There's just a correlation. There's okay. Just, uh, that's just one theory. It's it's interesting. We start talking to people about this. Yeah. They go, oh, God. Like I have one of my partners that I work with at work. His daughter got tested for a PFO because she gets migraine headaches. Oh, weird. And so that's how I found out about that. Um, but a quarter of the population. A quarter of the population has it. Seems it. like a lot. It, it does. Well, everybody has it in utero. It, it's because your, your lungs aren't needed when you're in the mm. womb. Yeah. And that, that opening closes for three quarters of the population uh and it can be problematic for divers because when you're underwater and you've got the pressure of the water squeezing on you it can cause that pfo to open and allow your blood or part of your blood to short circuit your lungs so that way you don't off gas as efficiently as a normal person interesting i've never heard this yeah. i don't know how i've never heard this yeah yeah so huh. that's can be very problematic for somebody uh, because you can be doing everything right. You know, I, I, I very rarely drink. I did not drink before these dives. Um, I, you know, try to stay hydrated. Uh, I try to get a good night's sleep. Right. All the things that most organizations suggest, suggest. you do to avoid this. Right, right. And so did you actually have a PFO? I actually did have a PFO. And yes. you didn't know until this event? Didn't know until this event. And... You know, I, I so love that's diving a so really, much. That's I, a really lame consolation prize. Well, I, I went and got it closed. Yeah. Oh, did you really? I did, yeah. She, I had documented all that, too. Uh, there's pictures of the, of, of, of the implant that I've got. They, they go in with a catheter in your groin, go up through um, some of your arteries, and literally put a plug in the hole of your heart uh, to, to plug it. And you chose to do this specifically for, well, for diving or just in general? For diving. Okay. Yeah, because... Because you, know. you don't want to off-gas, you don't want to have off-gassing issues and end up in the chamber again. Correct, correct. Do, is that considered a pre-existing condition when you sign up for Dan? They won't actually let you. I don't know if that's a thing. I I, I don't know. Um, that's crazy. Yeah. I I've never heard any of this before. Oh really? No, okay. I've never heard the PFO thing. That is fa That's super fascinating. And yeah. how was it like outpatient patient surgery? So they, they make you stay overnight for one night. Yeah. Um, you know, they, Seems they, reasonable. Yeah, they, they knock you out. Um, they make you stay overnight for one night for observation. Uh, you know, they scan to make sure that it's still in place. I have yearly follow-ups to make sure that the implant's still in place. Uh, it looks like kind of like a 
space station, basically. Uh, it's a uh, nickel-titanium structure that has this uh, material on it that basically, it, it, it comes in as a tube, they put it through the PFO, and then it expands out like a rose almost. So is it like a, almost like a camera shutter kind of look to it? Yeah, a little bit. A, a little, little bit, bit. But, you okay. know, It starts as a tube and then, and then flares out and basically like rivets your heart, the, the hole in your heart shut. And then scar tissue grows over it over a series of months to lock it in place and plug the hole. And so after you've, you've got that in, they do a, a different type of bubble study, which is much more sensitive. They, they put two of the uh, probes on either side of your head focused in an artery inside of your uh, like neck, head area. Like your jugular or something? Basically, yeah. Okay. And uh, they re-inject the bubbles. And that's so sensitive it can affect a single bubble, whereas one aimed at your heart needs a, a much is is much less sensitive it, it needs a massive cascade of bubbles okay uh so that's what they do to, to check that it's and i've got pictures of me in the hospital bed looking like frankenstein with you know looks like, like laser beams going to your head that's right, oh that's right. yeah that is amazing dude i i don't know how i have never heard of this and that i didn't know that this was a thing that's completely shocking yeah the, and the fact that dcs led to like a pretty major procedure to keep you you had some real hits in terms of like things that have stood in your way of diving and you've persevered through them first your ear yeah and then of course this yeah and you're just like you're still going man yeah and, and you know i've i've had some of my best days in my life diving and i've had some of my worst days in my life diving i mean there's I've seen people die on boats. I've, you know. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming tech-related stuff. Um. Or heart attack or. One one guy uh, aspirated into his regulator. He, oh he, Jesus. He, he vomited into his regulator, then re-inhaled it, and just choked. And on his way up, um, he embolized. Oh jeez. And then another guy forgot to turn on his oxygen on his rebreather, which that's that. I mean, you go to sleep, fun. right? Yes. Yeah, that one you go to sleep. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's a. It, I guess consolation. It's a peaceful way to go, but it's still not. There's no good way to go. No. No. Not Especially not recreationally. Yeah. 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 Not, not for something like this. This is. I, I don't recommend it. Um, I mean, there's nothing that. Rebreathers are probably, and I've toyed with them a little bit. I, sure. I've never, I'd never went through the full certification. They're probably one of the most uh, peaceful ways to explore the underwater world. They are, but it's like it lulls you into this sense of calm when, like, there's secretly dangers at every turn. Yeah, yeah. It, it's you know, there, there's some of the rebreathers are called the yellow box of death. Um, let's not name brands. Yeah. (laughs) Let's not name brands. Um, but yeah, there's definitely, and well, also too, I think the technology that goes along with rebreathers has come a long way in the past five to 10 years. Yeah. So like I, I dive a Revo and it's got redundancy on top of redundancy. And honestly, these days, most of the rebreathers are really quite good. Yeah. But like I, I like my Revo because I have two sets of, of, of scrubber cassettes. Mm-hmm. So if for some reason I have breakthrough on one, I have a second one that's going to catch any CO2. Yeah. I think three breathers is there's a half a different, a half a dozen different ways that it'll get you if you're not careful. I mean, you can go hypoxic. 
meaning that your oxygen level in the loop drops to a point that can't sustain consciousness and right. you pass out. You can go hyperoxic, meaning that the amount of oxygen in your loop is too high and you go into oxygen toxicity, you convulse. Um, you can have hypercapnia, which is too much carbon dioxide in the loop. But there's there's ways of dealing with, with all of this. And you have to... Yeah, like just not buying a rebreather. Not buying a rebreather is certainly one way. But I mean, I have a nitrox mixing machine on my back at all yeah. times, which is... No, awesome. they're super cool. They're yeah. super cool machines um, and expensive. Inexpensive, uh, yes. And expensive. And I think it's good that in some ways it's good that they're expensive because I don't think – I think the level of danger that they pose, you need to be willing to commit heavily to them. Sure. And there's a certain type of person who will do good with them and there's a certain type of person who will not do good with them. Yes. And if you don't do your checklist, you checklist know – are important. I mean they, they, they call you – some people call it being a rebreather pilot and aircraft it's pilots It's a good way to describe checklists. it. It's a really good way, and you have to be disciplined and regimented yeah. about it. Yeah. Because the day you're not is the day that you're going to get got. That's that's right. So, like, you know, one of the things that I really like that I have on my rebreather is a heads-up display that's in my field of vision at all times. Yeah. So if I go hyperoxic or hypoxic, it's flashing at me directly in my field of view. So it's not like I can ignore the controller on my wrist. Or not see it. Or not see it. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, it'll be blaring red saying, hey, you're going to kill yourself. Like, Was that attention. standard or was that an add-on? Uh, so for the Revo, they, there was a simple version that was mm -hmm. standard um, that, and, that, I, that I got. And, and I, you decided to go I all the way? Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a huge Shearwater fan, mm. um, you know, despite the fact that I, like I said I got hit on one. Which, that's my fault for the settings, uh, and having the PFO. Uh, so I have a sh what's called a Shearwater Nerd on my rebreather. Yeah, which those is, are cool. Uh, they're freaking amazing. It's, it's really it's, cool devices. It's a full Shearwater Petrol or Perdix in your eye. I mean, that might sound a little more intrusive to people than it actually is, but basically, you have a full dive computer yeah. without having to look down. Right. So yeah. for photographer, because I mean, let's face it, photographers tend to not make the best dive buddies. Uh, the worst. Yeah. We are the worst dive buddies. We are the worst. Uh, they tend not to pay a whole lot of attention to other things. They maybe don't check their air as often as they should. They, not good ones. Not yeah. Right. <laughs> um, they they tend to maybe not pay as much attention to their PO two as they should. So having something that's in their eye that they can't ignore. Is Especially really with the rebreather, man. And yeah. one of the best reasons to go rebreather is photography. Yeah. Because it's quiet. The fish yep. don't swim away. Yeah. Uh, the only thing is it's it's much more difficult to scare away the sharks. <laughs> the sharks are not big fans of uh, open circuit. And if you're afraid of sharks, stay open circuit. Cause... That, that is true. <laughs> the, the, the only other animal encounter that is not as good with the rebreather are seals and sea lions. Oh, yeah. Because a you're boring. You're, that's exactly right. They They're not entertained like, by the bubbles popping. Right. Up. Where Where are my bubbles? We have a deal here. They're like you blow bubbles, I play the bubbles. Why are you not making bubbles? Yeah. They're like uh, dance right. diver boy. Like I want to see. I want to be entertained. I want to like mock you and do spins and la la la. Yep. Those but, guys are so cool though. But I, I've had you know sand tiger sharks come within six inches of me. I've you know just about snuggled with a giant black sea bass. I mean, oh man. 
that's super nice. That brings me – so you mentioned sand tigers. Yes. Uh, you did a trip that actually inspired me to go and do a similar trip. Oh, I awesome. didn't get to hit all the things that you did because mine was kind of like an add-on. I was going to Boston, so I'm like I'm on that side of the country. I'm going to stop by North Carolina. And I'm gonna go check out these sand tiger shakes. And I, I saw that you did it. I think I messaged you about this at the time. And I asked you about this other dive you did. Mm -hmm. So we can talk about the sand tigers, or we can talk about your megalodon hunt. Oh yeah, I mean both are amazing. So your your choice. We'll so Google so both. who did you who did you dive with when you went into uh, for uh, the sand tigers? So. Uh, I, I booked a trip with uh, Channel Islands Dive Adventures. Okay. Uh, which great organization. Great organization. Ken Kalowitz is fantastic. I would love to speak to him at some point. Oh, I'm sure he'd love to do the podcast. Yeah. He's just He's just the sweetest guy. Oh, I'm sure. Um, and, and actually, Hollywood Divers does trips to, uh, to North Carolina to dive once a year. Uh, they just got back. I talked to Hal, the, one of the shop owners today. Mm -hmm. He's the guy that leads the trip. He's from North Carolina. He said they saw 70 sand tigers on the Carib Sea on this trip. 70. And they don't always go to the Carib Sea. Yeah. So, uh, so the, the, the trip that I did with uh, Channel Islands Dive Adventure was, was specifically to look for the Meg Teeth. Uh, there's two fossil ledges in the southern part of North Carolina off yeah. of Wilmington. Yep. Uh, they're between 90 and 110 feet. Okay. And it's basically like four, 30 or 40 miles off the coast. So it's a But that's all the east coast. Beach. That's all the east coast. So yeah. uh, if you are a California diver, you can get deep very quick. You can go a quarter mile offshore, and you were at 200, 300 feet, depending on whether or not there's a submarine canyon, or right. even if it's not. Thousands of feet. <laughs> yeah. Whereas East Coast divers, you do a 50-mile trip to get to like 100 feet. Yeah. It's crazy. It is crazy. It's a, well, it's just geology, but regardless. So it's a, it's a long trip out to get to that deep. Yeah, it's a long trip out. When you get there, it, it's all these like like rock piles or pillars that are about six feet or so tall with sand channels in between them Interesting. and you get down there you uh, tie off your your line to the anchor and you head off in some direction because there's a bunch of other divers that are down there too and you don't want to be on top of them right and you you overweight yourself you plop down in the sand and you literally you just sift the sand away from you at the bottom and what you're doing is that the teeth are heavier than the sand and you just you whisk away the sand and the teeth show up. And the teeth show up. That's got to be cool. And it's and it's not just Meg teeth though. I've got a collection of sand tiger, great white, extinct mako, all these different species that most people just toss because they're looking for you know a five inch Meg tooth. Oh my god! Uh, but it's uh, all different species of, of sharks that are on this fossil ledge that you can you can get teeth from. And a good portion of them are fossilized. Oh yeah, ancient sharks. Yes, they're they're. The ones that I was finding were fossilized ancient sharks. That's so cool. Yeah. And, and you can see there, there's commercial operations that, that, that are there. That What they do is they take one of those like sea scooters, kind of a lower end scooter that's not quite as powerful. Uh -huh. They flip them around so the nose is facing into their chest. Uh -huh. And they walk underwater with the scooter going uh, at a low power, blowing away all the sand in, in just stripes looking for these teeth. Oh, my God. And so that's how it's they. I, I kind of don't like that. I mean, it's a little bit of a bummer when you're, you know, down there, but that's how people get teeth on eBay and stuff like that. It's, that's how the commercial uh, operations collect their teeth. Yeah, but I also feel like if you have a business where people can go out and get it themselves, sure, 
I feel like I feel like that should be somewhat more protected because that experience is so much more valuable than say somebody who just wants to buy a megalodon tooth online. Online, sure. No. I mean, it just it's it's not maybe I'm elitist because I can potentially do that sure. and so I don't want that experience taken by somebody right. who's just trying to turn a quick buck. Right. But it does seem like a different value in it, like uh, for the teeth too. Yeah. And and it was it doesn't seem like it'd be good for the environment. I don't know. I can see that being problematic for the environment. It's much more of an impact having a scooter that's yeah. basically acting like a leaf blower for the sand. Yeah. That's what's, what's, what's going on. Um, Reminds me of like turn of the century mining techniques that we no longer use. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So um, you did that and how many teeth did you find? How, well, first of all, were you diving um, uh, recreational or tech? Tech. So you I, were tech. Okay. Yeah, I took, I took my dry suit out there. I took my rebreather out there. Um, and I sold it. It was it was a blast. Uh, I found I didn't find any of the really big complete teeth, which people in my group did. I mean, it's a little bit of the luck of the draw. Yeah, it's a crapshoot. Um, yeah, but I found probably half a dozen smaller meg teeth that were intact. Three or four frags of ones that would have been five six inches long that's cool uh, which was super cool and then like i said a bunch of different species plus whale bone Ooh. Uh, like a rib bone which was cool so were you just throwing this in like a mesh bag or uh -huh. like what yeah, yeah that's yeah. it a little mesh bag attached to my d-ring on my uh my hip how fun oh it was north carolina diving. and just one dive or multiple dives uh usually it was two dives on the okay. fossil ledge usually out out there you do two dives a day it's the problem with North Carolina is the weather picks up too. Yeah, it can so switch on a dime it on can you. Switch on a dime, so you get usually at least one or two days blown out on any week long trip out there. But North Carolina diving, it's not pretty, but you feel like you're Indiana Jones. Yeah, I mean it's, it's exciting. It's super exciting because you're out there, you can dive and, and and search for fossils of of ancient super predators, right? You can go dive on a German U-boat that was sank in combat in World War II with Nazis in it. Uh, you can go, one of the things that I did that was really cool, there was a wreck hunter that was on our boat for one of the trips uh, who had a map of this cargo ship that we dove on that was starting to collapse. And he pointed me to the ammo cache. So I brought up ammunition that was sunk in like 1873 on its way to, to Texas and handed it out to everybody on the boat so they could have souvenirs. Oh, my God. For, you got to be careful trip. with that. It was you better hope the primer rusted off. There's stories, man. Yeah, no. There's it was... stories of people blowing themselves up, bringing stuff up of, like, Truck Lagoon and things oh, like right. that. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Like, so, I mean, this stuff is live ammo, but sure, that's yeah. cool. I mean, I'm sure it made a great souvenir. I'm yeah. sure you were the hero of the day. That's kind of awesome. Yeah. I would have definitely not refused your gift in that scenario, but whew. Yeah, a lot of it was just the slugs that were left. Oh, really? So, so that was, you know, super little, easy. Little less. Right. But I do have some of the actual, like, full bullets. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, and, and basically the, the wreck was starting to collapse on itself. It was all getting destroyed. Oh, yeah. But that, that, that wreck hunter pulled out uh, intact glass bottles. No from, kidding. From that, from that same wreck. What a crazy thought, like, that somebody went down in that thing and, like, they could have been you know, a bottle of whiskey, yeah. and then they went down and grabbed it 100 years later or something. Yeah, yeah, oh, like 120-something years later, 130 years later. It was, it's so cool. So, like, you're, you're collecting artifacts. You're diving with, you know, a Nazi graveyard from a 
World War II U-boat. So cool. And you're collecting giant shark teeth. Like it, like I said, it's, it's kind of brown. It's kind of murky. But it's amazing. And that, that's not even getting into the sand tigers. So your experience was different. I had pretty decent visibility when I was there. It wasn't okay. brown and murky when I was there. Oh, really? Okay. I was before season, though. Oh, interesting. So I had gone, I think most of their stuff starts in like June. Yeah, June, Like July. late June, early July. Yeah. And I was there like mid-June. Okay. To the point where um, the dive shop that runs a lot of stuff, Olympus, Olympus, Olympus Dive Shop, they're pretty, they seem like a really good organization. Yeah, yeah. Um, I Olympus could, and Discovery, I think, are, are two in the, in the northern area. Right. The, um, and so I went with city. Discovery. Had an interesting experience. The boat captain that I ended up going out with, I went basically myself and a dive master. I bought out the boat. I was like, I don't know if I'll be able to come back here again. Like, this is that. And we went out and we did two dives on the Aeolus. And I did the Aeolus, which is a big, it's like 500 foot wreck that was uh, torn up in a hurricane. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, uh, it's, cable it's, layer. it's supposed to be an amazing wreck yeah. i did not see any of it because the only thing i really saw in that wreck was bait fish <laughs> i dropped down and there was you couldn't go you couldn't see two feet in front of you for bait fish i don't even think there were sharks on the wreck yeah and i saw sharks but by the time the sharks were there they were two feet away from me and they saw me and they bolted yeah like it was a tr it was one of the spookiest dives that i ever see because it was like peekaboo with you know, giant toothy sharks yeah. coming out of everything. I was like, "Oh man!" That was the one time I got nervous uh, diving out there. I was I was on one of the wrecks. Same thing, where it's just a, a school of bait fish that you can't even see through, and you know, and and the sharks coming through it. And I was by myself on this wreck because I'm on my CCR, so my my Nodico time's a lot better than everybody else. Right. And that's what I was looking for because the other divers weren't scaring them off. And then, you know, all of a sudden this shark just emerges a foot from me. I was like, okay, I'm just <laughs> maybe in the corner here where they can't come <laughs> from behind. Uh, well, and you know, if, if you've never seen a sand tiger shark, which most people have because they do really well in aquariums. Yeah. They have that toothy smile, man. Next to the great white shark, like I don't think they have. There's a more like intimidating, like looking maybe the god, maybe the goblin shark sure. of the deep, but they're just a cool looking, like gnarly, snaggle tooth critter. Yeah. They're also called gray nurse sharks uh, in which other makes, parts of the world, which makes no sense to me because they are not really gray. I I love Australians to death, but you know they're they're pretty they're, strange. They're a little they're a little upside down <laughs> yeah, on things. That's right. That's right. That's geographically. Um, but so that so I did that one the Aeolus, and I did one of the cargo ships. I don't remember, but the cargo ship that I dropped in on there, when we hit the top of the ship, it was the same kind of thing as you described. There was like a wall of sharks, yeah. like, and you're like, oh, well, I don't swim into the wall of sharks and i was behind them and i'm like what if one of these things turns around and says you know like what the heck and yeah. snaps at me or something but as i swam they kind of separated we parted the shark sea and it was just absolutely amazing ripping current though oh, that's sure. the other thing is yeah. they can get crazy currents over yeah. there so i basically just on that one i maybe traveled 50 feet and just held on for dear life on the edge yeah. of a of a thing and just snap some photos of sharks. Yeah, I remember flag pulling and, and one or two of those dives. And that's weird. You can go a couple hundred feet, like, or, you know, between two dive sites 
so there's a couple that are like maybe a quarter mile away from each other and that distance yeah. the water has completely different conditions yeah so different from california diving yeah when i was there there, there was a very very well-defined thermocline uh and the water at the thermocline was completely different so above the thermocline I don't know if it was the Gulf Stream or, or not Gulf Stream, but whatever that current is that goes up to uh, from the Caribbean up to uh, uh, England, um, was crystal clear, beautiful blue water. Yeah, War, you know, super warm, probably a hundred fifty foot visibility. So when I was doing deco on a couple of dives, you know, I'm just hanging out there in beautiful warm water, staring at the barracuda that's staring right back at me because they all sit under the line. And the way they do the lines in North Carolina is amazing where they, they run a line from the back of the boat, and they've got something called a Carolina rig. Yeah. Where there's a, a bar that sits at 15 to 20 feet that goes to the anchor, and then you can go down the anchor to the wreck. So you can hand over hand it, because of these currents, oh, the yeah. entire way down the, the line. And when you're in your safety stop, you're not all crunched together on the on the, the anchor line like you are everywhere else. Getting kicked in the head. Getting kicked in the head. Regulators flying all over, right. losing mass. You spread out along this gorgeous bar that's, yeah. that's at, right at the perfect depth fantastic best use of pvc in the world right oh for <laughs> sure for sure but but then underneath that it was like brown and murky oh really um and the viz dropped i mean it was probably 25 30 feet okay uh you know it wasn't horrible and and in the northern part it was better when i was on the aeolus it was probably 50 or so feet it's good but uh yeah those sand tigers they're amazing because they, they do really well in in, in um aquariums because they look so scary, but they're also super mellow. They, uh, you know, they, they just they're probably one of the safest sharks to dive with. They really are, yeah. But they look absolutely terrifying. Yeah, and, and they're pisciferous. You can tell by the shape of their tooth. They've got the really sharp, pointy, conical mm-hmm. tooth, unlike a great white, which is triangular and serrated. Yeah. So like, they're not looking to bite you. You're not. They're not a fish. Food group. You're not a fish. Uh, and what that's one of the cool things you see too is like the bait fish. Yeah. They like to hang around them, and they just they, they just stay just far enough away from the mouth, just in case. That's right. But they they stay right around them because they know that they like to eat the jacks and the other yep. things that are coming up. So a lot of times you'll see those two kind of coincide, which leads to amazing photography options. Absolutely. There's some amazing photographs of those fish like that. Yeah, and you can get super close to those sharks as well. I mean, you just go slow, you know, you don't breathe hard, and you can you can get just really Just don't close. blow bubbles, just, I know. Just, Calm just, down with the rebreather talk. Stop bragging. There were some good photographers on that trip who were open circuit. They got oh, some sure. amazing shots. Yes, of, uh, of course. And, and night diving with them is another oh. fun thing. Nothing like coming around a corner of a boat in the dark and like, hey, there's an eight-foot shark. I've had that experience here, though. Oh, really? Well, I ran in. I've told this story before, so I'll probably get crap for it, but... I ran into a prickly shark at Veterans Park. A prickly shark. Exactly. I had no idea what it was when I saw it, but it was about eight feet long, uh-huh. and the back of it's really wide. Huh. And it, I just turned to my left, and there's an eight-foot shark right there. And I'm just like, whoa. you know. And I grabbed the GoPro from my cousin, and I took video. But it is not the most comforting feeling in the world to be snuck up on by a shark. That's bigger than you are. That's exactly. And, yeah. you know... I couldn't imagine doing it, you know, at 100 feet underwater on the East Coast, but it's got to be a trippy experience, man. It is. I, I would strongly recommend that anybody go to, to North Carolina. And it, it's great because, like, 
the barbecue there is fantastic. Like people the barbecue there are, is all, good there. are all friendly, you know, Southern hospitality. Uh, so yeah, check with Channel Islands Dive Adventures, check with uh, Hollywood Divers. Absolutely worth the time. Um, so we talked about this too, is they, they, those sharks are probably commonly seen by people because of the fact that they look a little ominous, yeah. ominous, excuse me, and they do do well um, kind of in limited, in captivity, right? Right. I mean, the Aquarium of the Pacific has one. Yeah, and that which was cool. And they also had a bull shark for a, t- a temporary period of time. Oh, I didn't realize they had a bull shark at the... It was very short-lived. Because okay. their, their facility is not huge for the shark tank. No, not at all. And uh, bull sharks are a little bit more uh, aggressive and demanding yeah. as far as captivity goes. Yes. Um, have you had the opportunity to swim with them in the wild? I have, yes. Oh, where'd you, where, where did you have the uh, dive at? Playa del Karma. I did a, okay. a dive. How was like that? Uh, it was intense. It really? Was, I've heard that about that particular dive site. Yeah, yeah. So basically, you they grossly overweight you. Um, it's about 80 feet. Uh, it's and, a little bit deeper. Uh, yeah, it is a little bit deeper. They've got a guy who's in a full shark male that's that's feeding them. Uh, and, and you're looking at him the entire time like, how come I don't have one of those? Right. <laughs> uh, there, there's a cable that's that's down there. So the sharks know exactly where the feeding station is. Okay. And so you fall off the boat and you have to sink as fast as you can because there's a strong current. And then yeah. you hand over hand down the line and you have to stay flat sort of on your belly uh, during the shark feeding because the sharks are cruising right over your head, right Ooh. behind your, your feet. You can't have anything that's bright colors. They'll make you, if you've got fins with yellow tips like I do, they'll make you swap them out for something that's not bright. You've got uh, gear with with bright shiny colors on. stuff yeah, yeah they will give you like shirts and stuff to wear over it because they don't want the shark distracted by that but you know bull sharks they're bump fighters they'll they'll run into something and they'll like nibble on it yeah and if that's your arm or your leg it's like, a bad day that's a bad day um so yeah they're, they're all pregnant females there because bull sharks are one of the few sharks that can uh, cross between fresh and salt water they found bull right. sharks halfway up the mississippi river isn't that crazy? It's insane. They're, they're amazing animals. And so well, there's the original of... movie Jaws was based off a bull shark attack in that. New Jersey, yeah. right? Yeah. So um, yeah, that was that was intense. And they're you know they are something that can eat they, the way their teeth are shaped. They can eat sea turtles. I mean they they can. They, that's crazy. Anything. Yeah. So there's re- is it a sandy bottom? Yes. So there's really no cover. No. So I've done the the Bango Lagoon one. Okay. And they have you kind of sit behind a wall that they've created underwater. And you kind of sit there and look over the wall, and they're feeding in front of you, and the sharks are kind of coming around. But they have uh, dive masters with kind of bow peep, aluminum bow sure, peep sticks. Sure. And they just in case you get too close, they yeah, kind of yeah. nudge them away. Yeah, yep. And so, like, you know, feeding sharks is controversial, but even that, I kind of felt like, okay, it's pretty safe, and if something doesn't go quite right, you have people who are ready to jump in. Yeah. Was that the same vibe you got down there? It sounds like it was a little bit more open and wild. It was a little more open and wild. I believe there was somebody behind us uh, with one of these sticks. Uh, There was certainly the guy who was feeding, and there was uh, another safety diver behind him. Uh, but, I mean, the sharks would swim directly over your head. It, they Ooh. were close enough that you could tickle their belly. If you were so Highly dis, dis, uh, dis- Highly dissuade you from doing that. Yeah, discourage yeah. you from doing that. Yeah. 
Um, what you described was a lot like the tiger shark dive that I did in Tiger Beach. Oh, yeah. How was that? That was a blast. Too. And, and who's your operator? Uh, it was the Master Fleet. Uh, okay. It was bah- Bahamas Master. I think that was the first time they had had that boat. Uh, not when I was there. It was. They, I think they just purchased it and were going to refurbish it for the next season. Oh, nice. Yeah, but that was that was super cool as well. Tiger Beach is definitely a location that I want to go to. Um, I'd like to be there when they have the influx of the great hammerheads. The so, f- photos that you see coming out of there look epic. Yeah, so so there was a great hammerhead on my trip. How was, was that? Patches. Oh, they she, knew it. Oh, yeah, a girl. Oh, it was a girl. It was a girl, and she was the highlight of that trip. Oh, I, of course. I adored Patches. I took 6,000 photos that trip. Yeah. Without exaggeration, 3,000 are patches. Oh, my God. I mean, she, she's like a big puppy. And really? And she'd, she'd come up to you and be like, do you have food? Do you have food? Do you have food? No way. Oh, yeah. Oh, she was, she was amazing. And, and, like, that's how they'd get people excited about going in the waters. They'd look over and they'd boy, that's the weirdest looking tiger shark I've ever seen. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, guess we should go see it. And what, what was cool is I, flew, I had, took my drone out there, too. I launched it off the boat. And nice. you could see patches. From the surface, because well, it's only about 20 feet. But it's big, right? It's a big fish. Like, those yeah. great hammerheads are probably, what, like, over 10 feet? Oh, yeah, yeah. She was. She, like, she was 12 probably, to 14, right? Yeah, they can get they can get that big. I don't know if she was full grown or not. Okay. Um, but, yeah, she was. Still super cool. Oh, absolutely. Just, I don't think there is, well, there probably is, but it is one of the most, unu- most unusual biological experiments to have the the eyes of a hammerhead sure. shark so far out and this wide kind of uh, brow underneath their head to yep. detect their prey, which That's is right. primarily stingrays, right? That's yeah. correct. Yeah. yeah. They're basically a big metal detector. That's and, so And the funny. way they swim in their very S, you know, serpentine pattern is to be able to cover as much ground as possible to find the Well, they have, they have really cool videos of uh, giant um, hammerheads going after tarpon. Oh, really? Okay. And the way that serpentine pattern you're talking about, the ability of those fish to turn on a dime and make a turn and come around and try and get something, it's amazing. It's so cool. It's it's amazing that, like, that exists. Absolutely. In nature the way it is. And to watch it do it, if you find those videos, it is so cool. Yeah. She, she, I almost felt bad for her because her eyes are so wide set. She would miss the food. Probably three out of four times. No way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you, they all but like had to like stick it directly in her mouth just because. It's a dangerous she, proposition. It feels like it is because they're not wearing mail or anything like that. These Seriously. guys are just no, no. They're just in wetsuits and and they'll like you know pick a tiger shark up and kind of like move it off to the side. I I've got video of me having to smack one of the tiger sharks in the in the nose with my camera just to move it out of the way because yeah. it didn't wasn't paying attention. Because it was well, they they little, the tiger little, sharks will mess with you. Oh they, really? Yeah, they'll they'll try to push you around push you around they'll try to grab your camera they'll uh yeah there i do remember seeing a video of a guy having his camera hijacked by a tiger yeah it and, happens and, right yeah so you, you don't clip your camera to to yourself and you let the tiger shark take the camera because it's gonna win like it's, it's a tiger shark it's a good point <laughs> yeah why what do you what do you do when a tiger shark wants your camera I mean, give it your camera, but yeah. but I mean, like, is there a deterrent? Like, I guess my well, the guy it. next to you, you know, usually has a safety sticker camera himself. And there's somebody behind you with like one of those big, long PVC pipes that can yeah, like, yeah. pop it on the head. Um, but usually, the, so there's a there's a 
reinforcement scenario, encouraging it not to carry on with that kind of behavior. Right, right. Okay. But usually what happens is if it grabs your camera, it's going to swim 15, 20 feet away and then drop it. Because it doesn't, it's not food. It doesn't, doesn't taste, taste good. good. Right. And that's, you know, they're, they're there for food. But we had, we had dives where there were seven tigers on one dive. That's cool. And unusual. It gets, it gets really unnerving because you, you, you want to keep track of where all these tiger sharks are. That's you don't true. Want the one coming up from behind you, you know, and, and knocking you over or seeing what your fins taste like. Yeah. So, you know, you go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay. One, two, three, four, five, six. <laughs> seven okay yeah so do you almost end up diving like back to back with somebody is that a thing you're you're in a v-shaped pattern okay um and so you, you you're in a v with people on either side and the sharks swim back and forth inside of this v to the feeder that's that's at the, the, the base of the v the if you want to call it the apex of the v mm-hmm. um and then behind him is a safety diver who's making sure that no sharks come up behind the feeder and also it's quite a quite a job. Yeah, yeah, and he's got one of those those rattles um, that that you know dive instructors have when their students are doing something dumb. Yeah, uh, to so, get people's attention uh-huh. in case there's something behind them. That's exactly what it's for. So you hear that rattle and uh. everybody's heads on a turret, going, "Okay, who's you know who's getting the fl- flirting with the shark this time?" That is not a fun noise underwater. It, it you know it, you pay attention. I feel like I'd have nightmares for a little while after that dive. Well, what's what's surreal about it too is that so at Tiger Beach there's there's Caribbean reef sharks, there's right. nurse sharks, there's lemon sharks, there's tiger sharks, and there's the great hammer. And is so that all. So right. <laughs> yeah. And, and very often, more 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 than once, I had a six plus foot lemon shark who's got some teeth of yeah, his own. Yeah, lemon right? sharks are. Plop himself literally next to me, just on the ground hanging out and you look down you're like oh okay i'm just not gonna stick my hand there it's fine and you go back to looking at the tiger shark because you don't care about the lemon lemon's not gonna hurt you seriously yeah i I mean more than once i've got a a picture that i i i of a lemon shark that i was within six inches of it with my wide angle port snapping photos like hey this is my little buddy yeah yeah i mean they they just they'll park right next to you it's so weird. It's surreal because, you know, any Caribbean dive, a six-foot shark, that's, that would make the dive. Yeah. Here you just... It's right next oh, to you. All right. I just... Uh, I won't bother you. You stay there, buddy. That's right. Yeah. You're, you're cute. Like, it's cool. So when you're in that scenario, I've seen um, some of the sharks react positively to contact. Is that what they're doing when they're pulling up next to you like that? Or do they just... Is that just some sort of, like, social behavior... They see everybody else on the ground. They figure this is a cool place to sit down and have a nap. You know, I, I don't know that you're, you're strongly discouraged from touching the sharks. Like, Well, no, yeah. I mean, I guess I should say the people who usually run these charters sure. sometimes have contact. Yeah. There's a – I forget the organization, but there's one where the guy, like, scratches their nose with the chain mail on and stuff like that. Oh, they, they were doing that without the chain mail on. They, they had a crazy. hand signal where they would put put what, cup one hand over the other and kind of make, like, the octopus – symbol where you yeah. waggle your fingers okay uh, and it was a sign for the shark to come in and like get scratched and the shark would come in and they'd feed it or they so like, they would react to that yeah, they, that's impressive i have never had an experience with a shark which gave me the impression that they were beyond kind of reactive programming uh, you know i think they they're trained to target feed at, at aquariums and stuff like that really that so, that well 
you know, you should get somebody from the AOP on yeah, your podcast. Yeah, I should, I should probably talk to somebody. I'm sure they'd be more than happy. Because, I mean, they, they can train regular fish to target feed. That's true. There's that cute little video of a, what is it, like a puffer fish yeah. that goes through little symbols and stuff. But I, I guess wild sharks, my experience with them has always been like, you know, if you're not carrying on in a behavior that will trigger like a program in their mind, right? Their behavior is pretty predictable. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And all of the instances that I've seen in people get attacked by sharks, it's because they did something that triggered a natural behavior that was for that scenario. Sure. And that's kind of what I tell people when people are like, "Oh my God, you dive with sharks? Isn't that a scary thing?" And I'm like, "Hold on." Here's what's up. Like for the most part, sharks are predictable. Yes. The ones that freak me out only because I don't know what they're thinking are kind of orca whales, man. Oh well, yeah, because they're smarter than you are. Because they, they, they might just decide one day, hey, let's mess with this thing and see yeah. what happens. Like they have that, the curiosity aspect yes. that drives me nuts. But yeah. sharks, for the most part, I'm surprised to hear that they could respond to hand signals. That's pretty trippy. Well, I mean, it's it's you get the same customers over and over and over again. You That's know, true. They, they, they learn to recognize these sharks. They've got names. I mean, if you, if you go, I've, I've also done the Great Whites, and there's a book yeah. that you can buy where it's every one of the Great Whites of Guadalupe Island. Uh, how was how was that trip? That was fun. Did that on the horizon out of San Diego. Oh, okay, so that's an overnight trip, and then you stay down there for, what, three days? Yeah, you stay on site for about three days. And, and really, at the end of three days, it's like it's the exact same thing over and over and over and over again. It's not a dynamic um, series of dives. It's pretty stationary. It's very stationary. Yeah. yeah. and that, That's the only shark dive I've done where I was in a cage. Everything else has been completely out in the open. So, so let's say that. What, what was your favorite shark experience in your diving career? Um, I mean, there is something to be said about the Great Whites because that's the shark, right? It I mean, is a pretty it, epic creature. Right. And I've got this amazing photo that I took that I, I will thank captain, uh, the captain of the Horizon for because he asked if I was missing any shots. And I said, yes, I want the, a head-on shot of the shark. So my last dive, he had the guy throw the bait head so it was just perfect. And then I got the shark coming straight at me with a big smile. Ooh. Um, so I mean that that was cool from a I got to be with great whites perspective, but yeah. in terms of just like fun, I think getting to see patches yeah. and having her like come up and so the way you describe that experience, it seems way more interactive than you would expect a shark dive to be. Yes, and that I think that is unique. Yes, um, because you know you, you, there are times that you literally have to smack the shark or push it away to gently to, to, encourage. Gently encourage. Yes. Yes. I mean, like we I don't said, smack wildlife. You don't smack wildlife. We gently encourage. Sure. When it's trying to bite you, maybe you more than gently encourage. Uh, but yeah. Sternly encourage. Sternly yeah. encourage, yes. Yeah, with okay. the zeal. Um, yeah, with zeal. <laughs> um, and zest. Uh, but, okay, so you would, go with, you would go with that kind of thing. Obviously, creature-wise, you go like great whites are just a magnificent creature, but maybe the dive itself. <sighs> This is okay. So this brings us to a different kind of category of talk that sure. everybody has, right? Sure. You say, okay, what's your best dive? Where's the best dive site? That's my favorite question of all time, okay. because it's a dumb, dumb question. Of course. And so you have to break into like this whole series of things where you're like, well, it's not really the best dive site. It's really the experience you have on a given dive 
on a given day at a given site, which sure. will make that moment in memory, right? right? Like we just talked about one, like Veterans Park, millions of people have dove at Veterans Park. Very few of them have seen a, you know, a, a prickly shark there. Yeah. Or, or, or the whale that someone, that was Jeff that saw? Uh, Jeff, I have a picture of Jeff Smith, the owner of Pacific Wilderness with a whale, like literally five feet away from uh, the mother. And then uh, Helen, uh, one of the dive masters there, also saw a whale there. Yeah. So it's like... You're not going to top that. <laughs> yeah. If you're going worldwide diving, nobody's going to say, you know, Veterans Park. But how many people have seen a whale there? Sure. Like, but it does happen. Well, it also depends on what it is that you're interested in, too. So, like... This, this is a very interesting, uh, you know, dynamic of this question as well. Right. So... Wait, are you are we going macro micro or macro micro kind of argument here? Right, exactly. So like I love nudibranchs. I've got on my website I've got over a hundred species that I've cataloged over my time diving from you know Monterey to San Diego to uh, the Eastern Pacific. There you go. Um, so if you like nudibranchs, it's a different dive site. It's a different dive site than if yeah. you want to see whales because there's places you can go snorkel you know in like tonga with with whales which would be a mind-blowing amazing experience some people like big stuff some people like small stuff that is a divide i like to float in both circles personally right i mean like i i love wildlife yeah period like you know i i don't care what it is uh you know that said there there is there's certain a certain collector element to nudibranchs there's three thousand plus species you know, um, and new ones being discovered. There's been a couple different new ones recently found. That's right. Yeah, and and, and they change the taxonomy all the time. That you yeah. know, the Hermosinda casicornis used to be down here. And now they broke it off to the opalescence. Yeah, man. Like, I can't get into the Latin naming. I'm not that in deep. I like them. I like to take pictures of them. Sure. I'm I'm not that deep. I should take a class. Yeah, well, you'd think as a lawyer I could pronounce them better because you know, there's a certain Latin element in a lot of uh, legal doctrine. But listen, man, nobody's gonna judge speaking Latin. It's it's rough. Oh, I'm I'm sure there's gonna be folks listening. to this. Oh well, <laughs> let them judge. You can die on that hill. I would never dare. But so, do you have? A, let's let's ask this question then. Do you have a favorite photo, a photo that you've taken? Oh, yeah. Yes, I do. Oh, um, okay. Yes. So I, I've got like like a top five. I think my all-time favorite photo is a photo of a simple ocellaris clownfish and a magnificent anemone that I took in um, Anilau, Philippines. Nice. I sat at that. I, I love clownfish. I love anemones. Every time I would get it's to an anemone. Iconic. I, right. There are, absolutely. That's like what people it's think. Nemo. It is Nemo. Yeah. Uh, and this, this clownfish was just darting in and out of the tentacles, and I have a perfect shot of it in that, you know, a rule of thirds sort of division of the photo with with this beautiful green and purple anemone and then this brilliant flash of orange and white for the clownfish that that just immediately draws the eye and i've got that printed 20 by 30 oh wow that's great what's crazy about that and maybe you can speak to this or agree with me on this Uh i don't think most people will understand the validation of taking a photo the way that you wanted to take the photo. Sure. Oh, yeah. I've got a story about that as well. Okay. Because my thing is if you take a – oh, geez. That, that is amazing, man. That is a really amazing photo. 
Oh, it's beautiful. I could look at that for a while. Um, when you get the photo, like, you can take a good photo, not accidentally necessarily, but not completely aware of your the outcome of how it's going to go. Right. Absolutely. But when you plan it, yes, yeah. and you know what you want, and you goal get shots, it, I call goal them. shots. Yeah. When you when you put your time in, and you you know what you want, you know exactly how it wants to come out, and it does come out that way. Yeah. There's a weird satisfaction that only a photographer knows that that feeling. It, it's it's a feeling of relief. If you've gone on a trip and you've got this idea, this goal shot in mind, you want to get this shot. This is you. You, you have it in your mind's eye. And that's how you get good shots, to have something in your mind's eye. Right. And when you get that shot, all of a sudden the stress of, of, of wanting it, of, of worrying that you're running out of time. Oh, God, this is my 17th dive of 20 of the trip, and I still haven't got my shot. Like, when am I going to get it? What if I don't see that animal again? Yeah. It just it melts away. And all of a sudden you can enjoy the rest of it. Something goes wrong, you know, your camera malfunctions. Eh, I got my shot. It's fine. And I think, too, it's also like a little bit of validation to the effort you've put into the endeavor. Yeah. Like, you can go out and have a plan for something. You're you're anxious about it, like you said. All of that melts away, and now you're also like, okay, I can do this. Yes. Because so uh, – people don't realize this. So often you're taking photos – and it doesn't go the way you want no, it to go. Even close. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. No, yeah, no. Sometimes, sometimes it's still a good photo. Sure. I've had photos that have actually ended up being like some of my favorite photos, but I hated them at first because sure. they weren't what I were try- was trying to do right. at the time. Right. It's brutal. And but these are the mind games that go on behind some of these photos that you see with people taking. Yeah. But to get a shot like that when you know what you want and you get it. That's super cool. Yeah. So I, I had one of those shots. I went to Socorros down in Mexico. Oh, that is – so you're hitting – me and you have similar interests as far as dive sites. Socorro was one that I really wanted to do. I don't know if I'm going to get my way down there. Power Scuba's doing one in uh, in March. <sighs> yeah, with and, the new baby. It's yeah, going to be tough. That's a that's hard fair. sell. I yeah. still got to take – I still got to do the, uh, the coming out party for the baby in France, so – Got it. Yeah, to s- s- see some family. Um, oh, gosh, Power Scuba's doing one. That's who I did, did mine with. And I, I, I have to check the season because that might be whale or whale shark season. I went at a different time of year. But When did you – so what were you targeting? What was targeting? So I wanted to get a silhouette shot of a manta ray uh, against the sun was my, was my goal for that trip. Oh, man. And that, is an, that is an epic shot. It's beautiful. That – I, I planned Was the it. water that blue? Uh, yeah. So or it, did you help it a little bit? I mean, I'm sure. I'm okay. sure there was a wee, okay. wee bit of post-processing. There, there's it, nothing wrong with that. There's always a wee bit of post-processing. And, and Not everything is exposed perfectly. That's right. But it was blue water. But it was blue water. It was actually – so it actually turns out it's much easier to get these silhouette shots if the water's a little murky. Because yep. else you get that – It's that too sh- bright. Too bright, overblown yeah. sunball. So I I had planned this. I read all or of deeper. the dive photo, photo yeah. guide or deeper. Yeah, you know, uh, read all the dive photo guide. You know things. This is my first time with a proper camera. I've been shooting GoPros before that. Oh whoa whoa whoa! Don't judge people who don't have proper cameras, man. <laughs> like everybody's taking photos. Hey hey, you are know, you talking DSLR? No, I'm talking camera i had a oh, GoPro oh before you that. oh okay so you're actually saying a camera camera yes a camera like a what was it do you remember uh panasonic gh5 
Okay, that's a solid camera. It, it is a solid camera. Especially at the time. Yeah. When it came out. Yeah. That was kind of the first. It's a mirrorless, correct? It is a mirrorless, yes. So that was kind of the mirrorless revolution in underwater photography around that time. Yeah, it, it, um, it was the... It did 4K 60. I got it because it was it was supposed to be a very good video camera. Yeah. And uh, I had been doing GoPro videos for years before that. I have a hundred plus GoPro videos that are all narrated on my YouTube channel. Which I highly recommend. <laughs> which I highly recommend because you. if you want to know stuff, Drew will look it up for you, which is great. I, I Listen, all you guys who do that, I appreciate it so much. The Drew Mentries are fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I, what is your YouTube for if somebody wants to check it out? Uh, I think it's just just S like Drew Wilson or S Drew Wilson. Uh, you you can find it through my photography webpage, which is drewwilsonphotography.com. There we go. And there's a there's a link on the bottom. To you it. can check out the cool photos that we were scoping out here. So. Yeah. Um, but so I, I bought the GH5 because I wanted a great video camera, and that did 4K 60. That's a Micro Four Thirds, so it's a little bit of a smaller sensor than a, pro, a normal DSLR, but it still was supposed to be great. The problem is, turned out it's kind of schizophrenic for autofocus underwater. It oh. it, 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 it uses contrast detect, so it'll pulse. Ah. And that just would kill my videos because I have a kind of a weird housing that I couldn't manually focus it. And so I ended up starting to take more pictures because I could get it to take pictures just fine and lock the focus on that. Yeah. And that's how I kind of transitioned from video into, uh, into stills. You were almost shoehorned into it by your technology by that's technology. interesting yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's that and so this was the dive and the experience in which you went through all that experience and then yes. you kind of came back and you're like oh, okay and yeah i'll get this cool silhouette thing yep yeah because I, I had seen you know the the manta rays out there are the really big ones there's a couple of different types of manta rays mm -hmm. and the big the pelagic ones are the ones that have like the 14 plus foot wingspan and the ones in Socorro's are friendly. They'll come right to you. In fact, they'll play chicken with you. They'll swim at you and kind of like force you down. Uh, really? Which you gotta, yeah, you got to watch your computer because you, you'll all of a sudden be at 115 feet. And you're like, oh, damn, my, my tracks. Like, <laughs> shouldn't be down that deep. Yeah, watch out. Yeah. So I've heard, too, they actually like the bubbles of the divers, uh, like, on their under, like, underbelly they they, they appreciate it yeah yeah, yeah. They, they're they're absolutely amazing did you get visited by dolphins when you were there briefly very briefly very okay. briefly um i don't know if it was just the wrong season we also got visited by false killer whales Ooh, that's cool yeah we could hear them singing through a couple of the dives and then there was one instance where we saw them off the boat and we had like the dive guides were just leaving without us they just hopped ah. on the pangas. They were super excited. And I'm like, I'm grabbing my camera. I'm setting it up on the pangas. I'm bouncing out to find these things. And they just Ooh. threw me off the side of the boat. I No dive gear or anything like that. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and so I got some some cool photos of a, of a full pod of false killer whales going by. How epic is that? Is that cool. is wild country out there. Oh, yeah. Well, it's 100 miles off of the south of uh, Cabo San Lucas, correct? I think it's... I think it's further than that. I mean, is it? I thought it was 100 miles off because it takes them a full 48 hours to get there from Cabo, right? It's a full 24. Oh, it's yeah. 24. Okay. I think, I think it's full 24. And it's just a it's just a series of rocks that are sticking out of the yeah. middle of the ocean. I think it's like 240 because if they're doing 10 knots and it's 24-hour steam. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's just a, yeah. It's, it's a just, distance. It's a distance, and, and because of that, because it's so far, it's a it's a way station for pelagic life. Yeah. So you get all kinds of sharks. You get silky sharks. You get um, 
big, big whales big and whales. big, big whale sharks. Yeah, big, big, yeah, unfortunately, it was not whale or whale shark season. Yeah, whale sharks are the last shark on my bucket list. That are oh, really? I see those. So I'm really happy to say that I, I actually have beat you to a shark because you are very well well versed in the sharks. The whale sharks um, in Playa del Carmen. Okay, yeah, yeah. Highly recommend them. Could you – so I want to dive with a shark. I don't want to snorkel with a whale shark. Uh, so there, therein, lies the, therein lies the rub. So at that particular location, you will see – well, my two experiences, the first time I went, I saw – I think it was like 30 whale sharks at once, yeah. ranging from about 14 to 25 feet. Oh, so a little baby all the way up to... Uh... Yeah, so like some were not too big, and then others were very large. Wait, four, 14 feet huge. That was the first a... time, and I was like, this yeah. is amazing. Yeah. This is super cool. Is super like, cool. I don't think I could have asked for more. Yeah. And then I came, I came back a couple years later, and there was probably 50 or 60. 50 or 60. And manta rays. And manta, Okay. Because what happens is every year they line up on the current between the Gulf of Mexico and the Caribbean sure. uh, Sea, sure. and that is where the snapper release their eggs. Oh, they flip spawn. And so as they're they're spawning, it flows up through the current, and the whale sharks congregate, and apparently the mantis too, and they go through and they eat up all the critters that sure. are there. Uh, the problem is, is like you said, you're not diving with them. Uh, Honduras is good for diving with them. Okay. Uh, there's places in Belize, like uh, Turniff K has a lot of good sightings. Okay. And again, it's the bigger ones, typically. Uh, and then uh, there's and a bunch I, in... I was, I was being sarcastic about 14 feet being a baby. Like, that is a proper large-sized shark. Not after... You, so the second time, I saw ones that were legit 30 feet. Wow. Like, oh, 30 must, feet... That must have been just magnificent. Well, what's crazy is there's so many at that location. You're like, okay... Next, like it's it's like a conveyor belt, and it's a weird feeling because the luckily the bigger ones were the second time. I knew they would just come back around. Oh, okay. Because they're just circling water, right? Yeah, Yeah. they're just circling. I mean, I don't know it was the same shark, but you just you if you tried to chase the big one, sure, you get tired because it out it's a shark. It swims faster than you, and then you turn around and there'd be another one coming right at you. It's an insane event to witness yeah it's not diving i tried to talk them into letting me dive right they weren't having it they weren't having it okay no uh but there are other places you can do it i i I think that is an amazing place to go uh take pictures and be there and it's just really cool you can combo it with either cozumel or do you like the cenotes which i am a big fan of yeah cenotes are are amazing yeah so which ones have you done uh, I've done Chacmol, I've done, um, oh gosh, I can't, I can't. Dos Ojos? Uh, I don't know if I did Dos Ojos. Super popular. I did Dreamgate, which was beautiful. Dreamgate, okay. Yeah, were you really doing, shallow. were you running tech? No. Okay. No, I was doing it rec- recreationally, uh, and just cavern. I, 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 getting like deep in the caves kind of freaks me out a little bit. Uh, uh that's, that makes you normal. Yeah. The people who are like, I want to go 500 yards away from my life source. I don't know what's going on there, but that it seems a little, a little nuts. Yeah, yeah. There's um, some really good stories that people have shared about those experiences and how they go wrong. Yes. And I, I lost it's a buddy t- in a cave. Like, oh, 
it, it's I'm I, I'm okay with Cuckoo Cavern diving. Yeah, man. I'm also not a huge like I can only look at rock for so long. <laughs> like rocks Fair. are cool. Don't get me wrong. Sure, sure, Geologists sure. don't get angry at me and send me mean emails, but I have a level of rock love that is limited. Sure. And I don't need to risk my life to see rocks. Even if they're really cool and pointy. Yes, yeah. I mean, it, it is neat flying through a cave, a fully decorated, you know. Wasn't there, there was just an article recently talking about not taking photos in caves because it increases the chance of death. Hmm. I mean, that wouldn't surprise me. Again, you're task loading. You're not paying as much attention no. to your air and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. But... It's a it's a weird it's a weird environment to cha- challenge those kinds of ideas. Sure. So, you've also done Beyond Sharks, uh, minus the whale shark experience, which I'm sure you will get. Uh, you've also done ice diving. I have, yes. So this is a cool thing that I've also never done that I'm I kind of want to pick your brain about. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. What's up with ice diving? Um, so, <laughs> first of all, how many times have you done it? Just once. Okay, just so once. this was just a. Yeah. You're still new. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I did it with uh, Daryl Walker, who's a great instructor. He's out of located in Southern California. Okay. Uh, I had a few friends that were, were were going. I believe Aaron Aaron Halstead did it with you. I think he was uh, in Aaron, the group. Yeah, Aaron did it with me. Yeah, yep. another he, cool guy. He's super cool and the n- nicest guy. Great photographer as well. Super chill. Yeah. Yep. That, that is that is totally Aaron. Um, so <laughs> I didn't have the best experience when I went because oh, no. I went in the middle of a blizzard that ended <laughs> up trapping half my group there because of an avalanche. And Jesus. Yeah. I, I don't do well in particularly cold environments. Like when I dive, I have my dry suit and I actually have a heated vest on top of that that like if I want to do a deco, I can turn on and, oh my and help decompress. So how is that? That's got to be great. The heated vest, yeah, oh, that is amazing. And they're actually, super expensive, aren't they? Aren't no, they like three hundred dollars? Sure, yes, yes. Okay, uh, that's expensive for a vest. Uh, I mean, a little more than that for the for the heated ones. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. You can get um, you can get get them from like four fifty or so for the. Okay. I mean, they're but but some of these vests you can wear under a wetsuit too if you want. Oh, okay. So you can do it under a dry suit or a wetsuit. And what's nice is a good thermal profile for decompression is cold on the bottom when you're on gassing and yeah. warm on the top. When you're off when gassing. When you're off gassing. Because hmm. you want to increase the circulation in your body. So it's actually a little bit of a safety procedure so it's a little as well. bit of a safety procedure. Yeah. So what I do when I'm doing a decompression. Is that true diet, or is that something that just some salesman made up? No, no. That's, it's true. They've, they've okay. done tests on Navy okay. divers where they where – they, Tested it cold on the bottom, warm on the top, or cold on the or warm on the bottom, cold on the top, and they bent like seventy five percent of the people when they did the warm on the bottom, cold on the top. Mm. Was, yeah, there, there's there's studies that you can look up about the proper thermal. You know, That's profile. funny. So my a buddy of mine was a was a navy diver, and one of the things they did is this is pre dry suit level. And what they do is after you came up from these deep, deep dives, uh-huh. they'd hook you into another suit and they'd pump down boiling water. But by the time it got to you, it was just really hot. Right. And that probably did the same thing as a nice little warming yep. vest. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. So, so I, I wait till I'm about 30 feet up and doing my uh, deco stops and I turn on my vest. So that way I'm, I'm warming up on the deco stop to increase the circulation and help off gas more efficiently. Super cool. Um, but so, anyway, so blizzard, blizzard, yeah, middle of a blizzard. Um, it was 
it's a bizarre feeling when it is warmer in ice water than it is on the surface. That does sound weird. It, it like, that doesn't sound possible. It, it doesn't sound possible. Um, it, 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 <laughs> you basically, they tie a rope to you. Uh, they've cut a hole in the ice. Uh-huh. They tie a rope to you. You've got your regulator and whatnot. You don't breathe until you're actually all the way in the water because if you do, it can cause your regulator free flow because it'll ice up because breathing, that, that gas expanding, cools the first stage more. Weird. And so every single person with a full face mask who was there had their full face mask fail and free flow. That sounds terrible. All of them. Um, and I think it's because they couldn't wait till they were underwater in order to breathe they were already breathing on the surface and full face masks tend to flow a little bit more air anyway yeah they're usually positive pressure yeah, yeah. so all of them failed while i was there um apparently this last year was much much better no blizzard much warmer what weather. was the what was the temp do you remember uh, uh, on the surface yeah it was in the teens tw- yeah, te- teens 20s something like that okay um, so not Terribly cold, but maybe with wind chill with and wind things chill, like that, it got down snow. there. Yeah. So uh, I was—I tended to be the last person to go in. So when you're when you're diving there, uh, you're up in June Lake, and there's not a lot of stuff. Yeah, June's not there. I I would if I were to do it, uh-huh. I probably target something that's a little deeper. Sure. Because sure. June's pretty shallow, right? The deepest point is like what twenty feet. Where we were doing our training, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like 25, 30 feet. Not epic. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, it is an excellent experience, and you feel tough. Um, oh, it's it's definitely a challenge. Right. Uh, and and Daryl was was great, and the whole team. Mike Wine was there with a bunch bunch of my friends. So it's, it, that that portion of it was fun. Uh, but I just. I tend to not do well in, in very cold environments. I mean, I got back to my car and was shivering oh for like gosh. 45 minutes. between Because oh. you're standing on the surface, you know, helping to tender people too. So there's, you, you're, you're holding on, you're, you're tied into a rope as a diver. And the rope um, attaches to a D-ring either on your waist or your, or your shoulder. And then there's a loop that goes around your thumb. And you communicate with the person on the surface by tugging on the rope. One tug means one thing. Two tugs means something else. Three tugs means get me the heck out of the water now. Something's gone wrong. And the last dive you do, you get that experience, which is pretty amazing because you, you tug on that three times. They give you an acknowledgement tug. You tug back saying, okay, I'm ready. And there's two or three people on that rope pulling you out hand over hand as fast as you can go. <laughs> I mean, you just about pop out of the water. Do like a submarine ice. breach out yeah. of the ice. Pe- okay. People, they, they water ski, so they'll flip upside down with their fins on the bottom of the ice and ski along the bottom of the ice to the opening no during that, that drill. Um, I want to videotape that. That's right? hilarious. Yeah. Super fun. So so there there wasn't a ton to see. Um, yeah, there was some like crawfish and maybe some trout and stuff that's more than i would expect that's pretty good yeah um i want to do i want to do uh one of those salmon dives that's the freshwater dive i want to see do. that same that sounds cool and lake mead's really cool for freshwater diving too there's a lot of neat stuff i've dove like lake mead i know they have the bomber yeah they've got a bunch of bunch of stuff there do uh, they because yeah. uh, Las. there's a lot of las vegas divers that dive mead yep yeah but is there a lot of critters there's not a lot of critters. Okay. There's, there's a lot of planes. Structure there's boats, stuff. There's, yeah. There's, okay. there's ag piles from when they were building the dam. Oh, okay. Yeah. So and like I dove a PBY, which is a boat plane that crashed out there. Really? Yeah. So 
when we had that bad drought in California, mm-hmm. me and a couple guys were like, I'm pretty sure that that bomber's in recreational depth now. Yes, and we were we were tempted and we're like, if we go out there, how would they know? It's good, but you know, it's a national park and apparently it's a felony. But it would still, yeah, I know, silly laws. Uh, but it was still pretty cool that they have that stuff out there. Yeah. I'd like to do the tram, the the trout or salmon stuff. Yeah, uh, and there's a like couple, a there's a couple places here on the west coast that have stocks that can still show up and still do stuff. Just okay, we'll talk. I'll point. I mean, I don't want to say everything that I know and where it might be going, but there's sure. a couple places that are not as far away as you might think. That's that. No, that that sounds super cool. There's. I've seen some photos of people like uh, doing tadpole spawning as well in freshwater with yeah. the lily pads above. It looked absolutely amazing. There's a there's a guy out of is it it's either Ian McAllister or there's another guy. It's not him um, who does stuff like that out of Vancouver Island. Yeah, British yeah. Columbia, and they do the salmon. They do that stuff. They get a lot of bear stuff. It's really really cool. That sounds super cool. I don't. I just. It's, trippy trippy experience to be in that kind of thing i just it, it would feel so foreign to me sure. i've never done any real freshwater diving other than cenotes but that's a different scenario oh i can't tell you how excited i got at the cenotes to see the little catfish that i have in my aquarium it's like three inches long i'm oh my god there's my pictus cat i was so excited that's so People cool look at me like what, the, what is the matter with you it's just it's, a tiny little fish it's t- yeah I'm like but, but this is its native environment like this is you just got a new aquarium. I did, yeah. I'm in the middle of cycling it right now. Oh, my gosh. And it's how many gallons? So it's 200 system. It's 160 display, 40 sump. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's, Salt, that's, that's a big one. It's, yeah, it's decent size. Saltwater. Going to put uh, – still debating on the stock list. Def- definitely going to have clownfish and, and anemones. So you're going – okay. Yeah. Um, anemones are hard to keep. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to do the anemone for probably six to eight months, from what I've been told. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm one of these people that, like, when I don't know something, I will admit that I don't know something and try to get as much advice from friends. People who do. Who do, right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if, I, if I know something, I'll talk your ear off about it. But uh, if I don't, I, I, I like to think that I'm smart enough to ask for, for help. And so a lot of my friends... Um, have been advising me as to you know how long I need to wait, and it's it's just a slow process, but I'm very excited. Yeah, that's the thing that people don't realize is they're like, oh, I want a saltwater aquarium tank. It's like, no, it's a it's a commitment. Yeah, it's like a multi year commitment just to get a little bit of feedback. Yeah, it's like, oh, you want to put something in there in the first six months? Try a shrimp. Right. Like right. you get a shrimp. That's all you get, and that shrimp's gonna hide under a rock. <laughs> Because that's what the shrimp does. That's, what the shrimp, that's right. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. just it's a weird experience. Yeah, so I'm gonna start with some soft corals, and then work my way up to maybe LPS and the, the large polyp stonies, and then maybe some SPS. I've got some pretty bright lights on there, so it's got enough uh, par, which is the the measurement of the intensity of the light, to support a, a good amount of life. So that's cool. Yeah, we'll we'll see. How do you? So have you always been into aquariums or? Um, because I, I think we mentioned this before, is uh, aquariums are kind of a gateway into sure. kind of the recreational world of the underwater, right? Sure. So is that how you came upon that, or? Well, so I, I came up, so I've been into aquariums, yes, for, for years. My, my dad had a 55-gallon freshwater with Oscars and stuff. Oh, uh, yeah. Throughout high school, I had a 
55 gallon with with oscars and signs of phylum and stuff like that uh and then i've had a freshwater tank after i graduated college undergrad back in 2004 i uh, bought myself a 100 gallon freshwater and i that's moved with me to law school in new jersey moved back from new jersey gosh how do you move an aquarium uh, it's got to be a long road trip. It's it, it it is it is shipping fish is interesting. So you actually ship the fish cross country. I ship the fish cross country. Yeah, both, both times. How expensive is that? Uh, it was reasonable. Couple, yeah, I mean a couple. It, it depends on how you define reasonable, right? Like, <laughs> That's true. There's it, it, some people who have very different definitions than me. Right. You know, for some people, if it's any more effort than flushing it down the toilet, then it's too Oof. much. Uh, and then there's other people who like. One of the fish that I had shipped back uh, from New Jersey, I actually hatched from an egg. It was a severum that I had no bred. kidding. And I'm like, that's that, that's my fish, man. I I, I I it was that's like a pet. It is that's like way a pet. more that's way more pet like right. it feels like. So I, I shipped back probably eight or nine fish, and it was maybe two hundred bucks or something like that. That's not terrible. Yeah, and to buy them at that size, it would here, have been way more money. It would have been way more money, exactly. So that 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 seems reasonable to me. Yeah, and then I I wouldn't call you like. Uh, an aquarium nut based off that no. story. No, not, no I, I'm sure I've got stories I can... We don't need to go there. No, <laughs> no I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I mean, there's people who get very into it. Sure. I mean, uh, captivity of animals is a weird uh, genre of human existence, right? Yes. And we were talking about this as like, there's pros and cons. Yes. Uh, you know, the, obviously the smarter the animal and the more it takes away from their their life experience, it's tough to justify absolutely but um you know when you talk i think you were saying this is like it is a it can people don't care about stuff that they don't understand i think that's true yes absolutely yeah uh but it's it and that is a window yeah for a lot of people to engage and there's certain animals like we were talking about you know a shrimp isn't moving off of its rock. A, a in the wild, a clownfish will live its entire life on a single anemone. Yeah. So a clownfish, I don't feel so bad. You know, some of the pelagic stuff probably shouldn't be in an aquarium. Something that can't comfortably turn around in your aquarium shouldn't be in an aquarium. You know, you see people put arowana that grow three and a half, four feet long in a fifty-five gallon tank, and with this fallacy that it'll grow to the size of the aquarium, and that's just not fair. Like. That's rough. Yeah, that's that's rough. But you know, some of the little gobies and stuff like that that like, you know, it means that they're not going to get eaten by that carnivore, and they no wouldn't have moved off their rock structure to begin with, you know, in the first place. And certainly coral that literally attaches coral would to... be fine. Yeah, <laughs> nobody's nobody's going to pick at your coral. Right, and what's great too is a lot of the stuff now is aquacultured, maricultured, mm -hmm. so you're not taken from the wild. That's a big deal. I, I, I ran into some conflict um, <clears throat> within an aquarium we will not name, which didn't – I felt like they had harvested some naturally occurring species of uh, giant Pacific seahorses. Oh, I've heard about that. Have you heard about this story? I've heard about that story. I've seen said seahorses. Ah, you know, I, I have a witness – who claims they saw the act take place, but I don't. I don't know if that's enough evidence to name names in this. Sure. But it's it's tough when you have something come into a dive site that is super interesting, like a giant Pacific seahorse or six, sure. 
And uh, there's a whole host of divers who really respect the fact that it's there. Yeah. And then one day they disappear. Sure. And they end up in an aquarium. That's a tough one. Sure. I, and the particular aquarium in question, we I think we both respect quite a bit, quite a bit. despite Absolutely. that. And they do, generally speaking, very good jobs and very good things um, to really bring um, the Pacific Ocean to the public. And uh, which is not always well represented. Yes, I especially the the uh, eastern, eastern Pacific. Pacific yeah. Yes. Despite the fact that it's not as colorful, there's some really amazing things. Well, I shouldn't say it's not as colorful. I think it's different colors. Yeah, well, I, I think the colors aren't as frequent. I mean, you go to a obvious. coral reef or obvious. Yeah. yeah. You go to a coral reef, the uh, fish in the coral reef are, are stunning, all of them. You know, yeah. here, I mean, no, nobody's going to say Garibaldi is not a pretty fish. Well, but they're, those are also everywhere here. Yes. Because they're protected. Oh, and they know it. They got the memo. They're a little cocky. They, I agree. <laughs> Somebody needs to humble the Garibaldi. I, I'm, I'm, listen, I'm not saying we need to punch Garibaldi. No. But maybe we need to punch Garibaldi. <laughs> <laughs> okay? I'm just I, saying. I, I, I remember They're protected. I would never do that. I but. remember spearfishing as a kid and having a Garibaldi bite the end of my spear gun. Like, that's the spear itself. That's a little annoying. Uh, like, like, literally giving me, like, the... the, the, the Thin version the of the fin. Finger. Yeah, exactly. Flipping you off with its fin. Yeah. Jesus. So. Yeah, no. Um, Garibaldi's are an issue. And also, have you been to the marine preserves? Because those fish are also extremely cocky. <laughs> the lobster just looking at you like, come get me. Yeah. Oh, come uh, on. Dive the oil rigs and the sheep's head that will. They'll like, bite you. They'll bite you. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and they're waiting. They're waiting for you to harvest that scallop. And, and if you're not, if you're not quite quick enough, they'll give you a little nudge just to let you know, a little nibble, <laughs> like, "Hey, bud, I'm looking for scallop guts. Are we doing this or what?" Right. Yeah, come on, we, we've got an agreement here. Uh yeah. But point being, I I agree. Yes, Garibaldi are colorful, but you were saying maybe not everything is as frequently colorful. Right. I think it's a different color palette. If I dare get artistic with okay. my description, okay. I would say. I feel like the kelp forests are just uh, just as beautiful as anywhere else in the world oh, in some yes. respects as far Absolutely. as color and how they – especially if you get to, like, super clear water. Um, but you do have, like, browns and greens and things like that where it's, sure. you know, oranges and blues and other colors in, in tropical areas. That, that's true. And they, and they tend to be more condensed in the tropical areas. You'll have yeah. one fish that's got – you know, look at, a, look at a, a goby, a mandarin goby. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's just – Every color. five, five, six different shades of each color on it. Right, right. That's true. I mean, but I mean, you know, nudibranchs here in California, they do the same thing. Oh, oh, yeah. They're not so, as frequently seen, obviously. Some, but. Yeah, I mean, the Spanish shawl is as pretty as any Eastern Pacific nudibranch. Which is weird because I see them so often that I completely dismiss them, and. I, there's really no reason I should appreciate their beauty more. But I look at them like, ah, oh, there's another one. Ah, uh, same thing with the Garibaldi. Beautiful orange sure. fish. Ah, uh, another uh, Garibaldi. Catalina gobies are another one. The, the, no. The, you know, I, I was looking, when I'm looking at stocking levels or, or what to stock my, my tank with, uh, I see advertisements for Catalina gobies for like $50. And people are going out, talking about how excited they are to get these things and you know how delicate they are because they're from colder water. And it's like, turn over a rock. There'll be ten of them. 
Uh huh. And you're like, big deal. Right, right. I don't. I don't need that. Yeah. They, they, I mean, they're so freaking hard to shoot because they're so skittish. They are. Um, they, and which is funny because what eats them? I would think maybe everything because they're tiny. They're tiny, but <sighs> maybe that's why they're so skittish. I don't know, but they're so. Would you would you take one in a tank? Would no, you keep one? No, no because it, it's it's a cold water fish, and it's oh, you're going warm. Yeah, tropical, I'm going tropical. So. That's right. Obviously, clownfish anemones. Right. Duh. I mean, I, I would. I, it'd be neat to do a local tank, but I can't imagine the cooling bill to get stuff. That is the big problem. Is if you actually did it, you'd want foam on all sides of your tank except for one that you would view it from, right. and then you'd still have to chill the thing. Right. Yeah. Which. Would, and you would be paying. Right. It'd be like a car payment for an aquarium. Right. Yeah. So it, it doesn't. I don't know. Doesn't make a lot. Of, I, it's it's a hard sell for me. I agree. So I don't know. I think California. I think people overlook California. Yeah. I think you can have an amazing experience in California. Oh, absolutely. Equal to that anywhere in the world. Well, I mean, the kelp forests it, on a clear day. It's it's like you're flying through a giant forest. It's it's. Stunning. I th- I think that is different in in some respects than other places because. Kelp acts as like a a measure of your depth and your position in the situation. Sure. And you can get really interesting kind of three-dimensional environments where you feel like you're in a room of kelp with a golden ceiling and then it drops down in the shading of colors with the blues. It's just beautiful. Oh, absolutely. That, and, you know, we get some some magnificent creatures out here, too. And, and some of the sites, Farnsworth, is with the, with the purples of the hydrocoral, the reds of the gargonians, the, you know, schools of, 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 bait, of bait fish and whatnot. Are, are Don't forget the torpedo rays. Right? Yeah. Oh, I love those guys. They're wow. weird. How, I mean, how cool is it that, that its you know, scientific name is torpedo? Like, the, 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 it's not a nickname for this fish. It's, nope. It was such an incredible creature that the military named the weapon after the fish dude the thing looks like a flying saucer mated with a shark it, it, that's exactly what it looks like yeah it's, it's, it's totally a pancake like with two little eyes and yeah. then like a, a, a leopard shark tail sticking out the back yeah and in the most kind of ominous gray color and it has the like you described the two beady little eyes, and you're like i don't trust it no and, i don't trust that little electric thing and, and the way they swim is the they just don't care. They, nope. they know that nobody's going to mess with this torpedo ray or they will shock the living daylights out of you. I know a guy, I, I know stories of people shooting them, thinking they're halibuts, and getting a very unpleasant experience afterwards. Wow. And then trying to retrieve their spear and basically going, that was a mistake. I'm yeah, giving it up. <laughs> Cut your losses. It's in. all good. So, um, So you've been doing photography. You've done your stuff. Are you selling prints? Uh, yeah, yeah, I am. Uh, through my website, drewwilsonphotography.com, you can log on, get prints uh, on various mediums. Uh, I find that that the aquatic prints really work well on metal. Yeah. It tends to be very beautiful. I've got tons of metal prints in my home. I think I've seen a photo that you did for your own home of patches, correct? Yes, yep. You have one of patches in your home, and you also have uh, the – the uh, clownfish one you were talking about. Yes, yes. And I have what I call my, my wall of tasteful nudies. 
So in my in my kitchen, <laughs> I have a, a wall. Oh, I see what you did there. Uh, see yeah. what you did there. Okay. Yeah, a yeah. wall of thirty different species of nudibranchs from all around the world. Now, these are these your favorites, or are these just what you've you've collected more than that? Yeah, I've collected over a hundred. These are just your photos that you like. The, correct. Okay. Yeah, the ones that are most colorful. The ones what what works really well on metal are high contrast and high color. Mm -hmm. So if it's got a nice you know black background with you know maybe a brilliant purple or gold or something like that, that tends to print very well. Mm. So I've got my collection of, of those. That's super cool. Yeah. And it's neat to like have people guess, well, where do you think this one's from? Is this, you know, some foreign locale or is this off of Redondo? And, you know, you show them a Spanish shawl, they're like, oh, my gosh, that must be, you know, Indonesia or the Philippines. And you're like, no, there's about 500 million of them. Uh, Just right off the shore right here. Off the yeah. shore here. Probably throw a rock and hit one of those right. things. Right. You know, same thing with the, the opalescent nudibranch. I mean, those things are, are stunning in their own right. So if people are listening to these names and they're like, what are these two weirdos talking about? Go check out his website and you'll get really good representations. Drew Zanips, excellent photographer. Um, okay. So, and how is that? Is that, it's tough, right, to oh, sell? Yeah. Uh, absolutely. It's it's uh it's not extremely profitable and but it's something that I think is good because and I think we were talking about this too is it gives people an option to access stuff and really appreciate the beauty. What would you say is the most popular thing that people like of uh, your work? So um cuz this is the thing that I always find is like the photos that I take uh -huh. are never the the ones that I like the best sure. are never the ones that people like the best. Uh, so the the head-on shot of the great white shark that looks like Bruce from Finding Nemo. Yeah, I think it's probably the most popular. The most the most popular. Um, I've had people buy prints of the the Monterey silhouette. That's a good one. Uh, I, I can see that. I could see it go anywhere. Yeah. That is a photo that travels. Yeah, thank you. That's, it's a great photo. That's that's one of my, like I said, I've got probably five absolute favorites, and and that one buys for first place with that uh, that clownfish. Yeah, is, uh, I, I'm really pleased I got that photo. Um, well, the color is beautiful. The way that it fades from like dark to light, and you get the silhouette right in there. I go on. Um, I've had somebody buy. I, I have this really cool shot that I took in Lembe of a family of clownfish on a magnificent anemone surrounded by an arch of uh, cardinal fish. Oh. Bungai cardinals. Interesting. Which came out beautiful. It sounds like there's a lot of symmetry. Yes. In that yes. photo, which is like, you can think about it, but in nature, usually fish don't cooperate on that. They don't right. line up for you. Right. And, and, it, was, and it was interesting, too, the, the fact that- No matter that, how much you ask. Right. Yeah, there's only so much cajoling you can do. Yeah. But it was interesting too that that it's it's a variety of species uh, that are together. You know, you don't necessarily see uh, multiple species oh, wow. hanging out, basically. Yeah, that's fantastic. So. And the just the range of colors alone in that photo are, is fantastic. Um. So beyond that. Aspirations for the future in diving or water? Oh, good questions. Because um, you already got the rebreather. That's I, usually the pinnacle there. Are you going on any deep dives or you're staying pretty mellow as far as that uh, goes? So I'm, I'm, tri I'm Normoxic Trimix certified. So I'm certified at 200 feet. 
Um, I've done a couple of 200 foot dives. I've done Murray Head down in San Diego. Um, I've done some other sites, Scripps Canyon, that sort of thing. I've done the U boat that's out here, UB88. That is super cool. I just talked to Phil Gardner, who published the coordinates for that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, how how is that dive? Uh, it's it's dark. Yeah. Um, very dark. Uh, it's it's neat. It's starting to crumble a little bit. Uh, the tail's still up. The conning tower's still up. The the forward section has started to deteriorate, so you can actually see the torpedo tubes. Yeah. Which is really cool. And uh, sometimes there's wolf eels in there, which are one of my favorite animals to shoot. Really trippy critter. Oh yeah, it looks like they look like grumpy old men to me. Yeah. No, that's that's a pretty good description. Imagine if an eel mated with a warty old man yes. and that's what you have with a wolf eel and right. it's a weird shade of gray and it's not actually even an eel either because it's got the it's a fish yeah, yeah. It's a fish uh and, and you know they mate for life and they are orange is that true yeah. i didn't know that so that's from what i read and i'm not an ichthyologist or yeah somebody correct us yeah i'm sure it's like i can't believe yeah. these things. <laughs> they're uh, not swans right is it okay. swans or ducks which one one of them Dang it, now I messed it up. The, the hate mail on this episode is going to be ridiculous. <laughs> but yeah, there's something mates for life. Um, and the babies are orange. And yeah, just... so that's, I've never seen an adult. You've never seen an adult? I've never seen an adult, I, I know. i get you on the Hogan. I would love to go on the Hogan. But I was lobster diving once, and I turned over a rock, and a four-foot-long orange thing that was winding through the water like madness popped out. And I freaked me the heck out. And I saw it, and I was like, that looks like a wolf eel. But wolf eels are not orange. That thing was orange. Yeah. Like a bright orange. Yeah. It was a trip. Yeah. That was a really cool sighting. That is super cool. That's that's a juvenile. That's, that's what they look like as, as babies. Yeah. Where do you find those normally? Uh, where do I find wolf eels? Or no, no, no. The juveniles. Because uh, they're I mean, bright they're, orange. They'd one. be amazing. Yeah. I, that's what I'm saying. It's so random that I found one. but. Yeah. That's cool. That is. So you see him on the Hogan. There's Hogan's in San Diego, correct? Hogan's in San Diego, yeah. And what is it at, 110? Uh, one, so uh, the, the structure is pretty well collapsed. It's been down there since the 40s. It was okay. used as a target practice for the Navy. Right. Um, so maybe that top of the stern's at 110. Okay. It's like 125 at the sand. Oh, okay. Um, so it's a deeper wreck. It's a deeper wreck. So, like, you can do it on a you know, 28% nitrox mix for... 15, 20 minutes. Okay, that's uh, not bad. I've been on mixed boats where there's tech people like me who are doing it, and then there's uh, open circuit recreational folks who just tootle around a bit, come back up. Uh, but you, wolf eels on that wreck, probably three out of four dives. Nice. Yeah. Which is which is San Diego, man. San Diego is, is good. amazing. It's good. Uh, my favorite wreck down there, obviously, is the Yukon, but I'm a big fan of the Ruby E as well. Okay. Did you you know, see the, have you seen the Ruby E lately? I've heard it's broken down. Oh, yeah. The whole wheelhouse just slid off into the... Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. I mean, it's been down there a long time. Yep. Chances that we get another wreck in California these days, though, not likely, which bums yeah. me out. For sure. Because there really should be more stuff like that out there for people to dive. Yeah. I think it's a win-win for everybody. Well, the artificial reef, the life that it attracts is absolutely amazing. I mean, you should, Hogan's in the middle of, of sand. There's yep. sand in every direction as far as you want to swim. But on that wreck, there are lingcod that are four plus feet long. There's cabazon. There's 
you know, Wolfheels, like I said, there's giant schools of blacksmith, there's nudibranchs, it's covered in strawberry anemones. Well, people who go back and forth on this, there's an argument about, well, does life that was already there just congregate there, or is it actually a place that fosters life? That's the big argument that I've heard. I don't see how you could argue... It, I would be really surprised if they found out with evidence that, like, those critters would be living somewhere else. They just happened here because of it or something. I, it, it must matter that there is structure there that sure. creates habit. That's a yeah, habitat. It's a habitat, yeah. Like, I mean, there's no way. I just can't wrap my mind around how it wouldn't be positive. Right. I mean, a, a Except for the, maybe the sandworms that are underneath. Right. A gargonia or, or a tube anemone. You know, a gargonia needs something to attach to. So does a strawberry anemone. It's not just going to live in the sand. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's the food chain. It's the ecosystem, right? You, if, if you don't have the, the, the structure for the bait fish to live in and hide from the predators, you're not going to get the predators to yep. come in there. So, Ah, it's a trippy place. Yeah. No, San Diego's great. And there's a lot. I mean, we're, we're really fortunate in California to have so many great boats and so much access to, uh, to diving. So you never answered the question, what's next? Uh, so my 40th birthday is 2022. I'm going to go to, I'm, I'm, I'm planning on going to the Galapagos. Wow. Uh, that's, that's going to be my, my, big, that's a big one. That's a big one. Um, you know, I would have loved to get back to Southeast Asia. <clears throat> uh, COVID providing, COVID providing, yeah. right. Who knows? I'd love to do like Cebu and see the whale sharks there. That's a good spot. And, and do, uh, you know, Dugamete, um, or go back to Anilau. Anilau is beautiful. You know, I, I loved Anilau. I loved Lembe because it's it's not only the nudibranchs that I adore, but it's just some weird, weird critters. I mean, frogfish are amazing. I don't know. They're super cool. They're yeah. super cool. I, and the varieties of frogfish, the the diversity, it just speaks to the success of that strategy and how we're watching a critter almost transform into a walking fish yeah. an underwater walking fish right like yep. they're giving up on swimming it's not really their thing yeah and they they're... are the most awkward things down there i mean they, they the way they meander down the reef they've got little jets behind their pectoral fins in order to swim really yeah and they, they swim by jet propulsion it's 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 wild and it's more of like a controlled shot yeah like that's so funny yeah uh, and 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 the fact that you go from a giant frogfish that's you know, a foot and a half uh, in diameter to, you know, some of these smaller really ones. Really tiny ones, yeah. yeah. Um, well, um, I forget the name of the resort. Mike Braddock? Barrick? Uh, yeah. That, that's, Do you know uh, who I'm talking Blue. about? Yeah. That's, that's crystal right. clear. What crystal, is it? Crystal blue. Crystal blue. So that's, that's where I dove when I was in Anilau. Okay, so he turns out photos of the smallest frogfish I've ever seen. Yes. We're talking like... I don't even know how he. I don't. Lens must be 150 millimeter or something, macro lens because yeah. he's got these frogfish that are literally the yeah. size of a tip of a pencil. Yes, uh, that, so that mind blowingly small. Like, why would you even know that that exists? It's amazing these, the the skill of some of these dive guides. When I was in Bali, I had the same thing happen to me. Where I, I swear to God, they must keep it like a little film canister on their belt, and they're like. Drop it off Drop the sand and like, hey, oh, guys, look, what here, here, look what I found. Because, yeah, it's smaller than the tip of my pinky. It's black on black sand and, like, cruising around. How do you spot that? Yeah, there's no way. I, it must be just training, right? Like, people just know where to look and when to look there, and they just do it over and over again. Yeah. It's a, 
Have yeah. you seen the Pygmy Seahorse? I have seen the Pygmy Seahorse. I've got some good photos of the Pygmy oh Seahorse. Oh, my God. They're so tiny. They, they are. I mean, at least those are on the same sea fan their entire life. Like, so once you've found one, like, you know you can go back. That's true. That's a good point. And just look up and down the, uh, the, the, the fan. I mean, it's Shaun the Sheep. Have you ever seen Shaun the Sheep before? No. What is that? Oh, Shaun the Sheep. It's a, it's a um, sap-sucking slug that uh, eats chlorophyll and puts it up into the serrata and can... can... I'm sorry. So much was just said. What? <laughs> it's a sap-sucking slug Saps... that eats chlorophyll and puts it on the serrata? Yes. So serrata it's... sounds like a sister hot sauce to sriracha. Good. Is it not? Probably true. Um... Oh, yeah, this guy. Yeah, Sean the Sheep. Why? Hold on. One, for people who can't see this, this is not a sheep. Well, that's it's, it's a it's, green slug. It's it's the it's the common, it's a beautiful green slug. It's the common but name from it. It's Costacilla curushame. But Boy, this I'm was one of that. the newer things that they discovered, right? Uh, or have these been around? Maybe this is different. I'm not sure how long these have been around, but so they look like a nudibranch, but they're not actually a nudibranch. They're a what's called a sap sucking slug. So there's a, there are certain species of sea slugs that will eat algae and take some of the algae and put it up in the serrata, the, the, the kind of flaring out tentacle looking yeah, kind of things. things. Right. But it's not really a tentacle. It's correct. What is it? I don't even know. It's, it's part it's... of their digestive system. Okay. In nudibranchs. I, I don't know enough about the, the sap sucking slugs. Right. Cause nudibranch means uh naked, uh, naked, gi- naked lungs or naked gills. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, but that's usually the rhymophores that are in front, right? Not the stuff in the back. Well, no. So that so they breathe through the serrata as well. Oh, okay. Uh, the rhinophores in front are for smell. Oh, cool. Uh, so yeah, that's 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 so rhino is nose. That makes sense. Um, God, I'm bad at Latin. <laughs> it's all right. No, no, no. So, but okay. So, okay. So that's their both their digestive system and also. Yeah, and there's you know there's there's a couple different body types for for um, nudibranchs. There's there's some that actually have a, a sort of a plume at, yeah. at the back, and that that's, that's very obvious. That's that's the gill structure back there. If they don't have serrata, they'll have that little plume uh, in the back that, okay. they, that they breathe through. Okay, so they throw these algae, so they throw algae, the algae, yeah, in there, in there, and then they can get food from so, sort of like it's, the zooxanthellae that uh, coral have. Yeah, I was just about to say it's kind of like a coral move, right? Okay. Well, so like you know, a normal nudibranch, uh, like Spanish shawl or a Hermesinda cassicornis, will eat um, anemones and then put the unexploded stinging cells into their serrata. So that way, when a fish tries to bite them, they'll get stung by the cells from the enemies that they ate. They do a lot of weird stuff with their food, these critters. They and do. Yeah. yeah. I'm wondering how that... I'm going to go look up how this process works. I need to go do some learning. That's fa- I knew they were poisonous. I knew, knew most nudibranchs were poisonous. I didn't know that's how they got that, their poison. Yeah, Just that, jacking anemones, uh, nematophores. Yeah, yeah, the, the nematocysts, yep. Yeah, okay, nematocysts, yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Well, I mean, um, poison dart frogs work very similar. I, I, I wouldn't, like, want to go lick a captive red poison dart frog, but poison dart frogs in the wild get their toxin from the ants that they eat, and it concentrates in their body. Things. I watch way too much Discovery Channel. No, man, this, this is... 
world is weird. The world is amazing. So weird. And that's what's so great about diving is that like I can't get down to the rainforest all that easily. That's but I can just go to Vets Park or, you know, La Jolla Shores and see all of this amazing crazy things. crazy yeah. stuff. Go play with sea lions, go, you know, possibly swim with dolphins if they ever would give us the time of day. Um, not, not you know what though? I had a really so I get the vibe that over the years and years of fishermen in Southern California, they somehow train dolphins to not like people. But I'm starting to see dolphins behave mildly different towards people lately. Um, You know, I was out surfing and I just yesterday, I had uh, two dolphins. They were clearly frolicking in kind of a pre-breeding or courtship type way. Sure. But swim right under my surfboard and and, and surface and kind of make eye contact in a way that I've never seen before. So I'm wondering if maybe in the next 10 or 15 years if people, fishermen in particular, don't vilify dolphins uh, the way that they vilify sea lions. Maybe maybe they'll start to interact a little bit more because there are places in the world where dolphins are super interactive with human right. beings because they've never had negative experiences. Hmm, interesting. So you think it's maybe a an experience based or maybe a taught by their parents to avoid again venturing into the realm of things of I think as opposed to no. <laughs> sure, sure. But I mean, like it makes sense. I don't understand why there are places like Socorro where dolphins openly like engage with divers because divers will pet them and take photos and they find it interesting or places like the Bahamas where you can jump in the water with dolphins and they'll come out and check you out. Whereas where I've literally jumped into the water in front of a pod of dolphins and waited and hoping that they would see me and actively watch them just swim like a wide berth of like a hundred yards in either direction to avoid seeing a human being. Yeah. That is bizarre. I mean, they're not dumb. No, they're not, smart critters. That's right. So I, I wouldn't be surprised they, you know, that they they have, you know, if you had a generation of bad experiences or multiple generations of bad experiences with human beings, I might avoid them too. But I don't know. Maybe there's another reason that, you know, I'm way too ignorant to know about, <laughs> which is always a possibility. Well, you know, not, unfortunately, neither one of us are marine biologists, but we are certainly passionate about uh Yeah. So, man, I can't thank you enough for coming in. I think we'll cut it off right here, but this is so cool. Yeah, absolutely. I'm thankful for the opportunity to. Is there anything else like you think people should know? I mean, you put out your YouTube, you put out your photos. I definitely recommend that anybody who even just wants a glimpse into the world of uh, how cool underwater photography could be, check out Drew's page. so so maybe some general photography tips for people who are getting started. Oh, um, those those are always good. Yeah, uh, you know when I, when I tell all my friends who are just getting into the into the hobby, uh, whenever you think you have the photo, particularly if it's underwater, take ten more, because you never know which one of those ten are going to be. Yeah, at least ten, and I mean modern memory cards these days can hold a thousand, three thousand, five thousand photos. Shoot shoot raw so you can bring stuff up and post because. Very oftentimes, that's very necessary. Anything you see in magazines or online that's that's a a good quality, there, ninety plus percent, it's got some post processing on it, and it's and it's not all that complicated. I use 
three sliders in Lightroom for 90% of my work uh, in post. Um, you know, learn, learn to use your camera on manu with manual settings. Uh, and and you'll, you'll, you'll have a base setting that you'll use for most of your photography. I mean, if I'm yeah. shooting macro, I've got, my, I've got a full-frame Sony uh, DS, or mirrorless camera. Nice camera. And I, I swim around at f18, uh, 1 200th of uh, shutter speed, because that's my fastest strobe sync speed, and 400 ISO, so I can cycle my strobes a little faster. I'm doing a wide angle. I'm at f9 with uh, 1 100th to or 1 80th shutter speed, and f or ISO 400 to 800. Um, and, and most of the shots I can get with those settings, and, and if I need to, I can bump it up a stop or two in post. Yeah. Uh, and I just I change my my strobe power. So um, you're you focus more on the strobe power. Uh, yeah, a little bit more on the strobe power. I've got a kind of a wonky housing that makes it a little bit more difficult for me to change my camera settings if I need to. It's not as fast as mm. as as if it was like on land. I tend to go the other direction with it, but okay. I don't see mass. I don't see massive changes with with strobe power with mine. Oh, interesting. Okay. Or at least I feel like it's way more clunky to okay. do that. I'll do strobe positioning. Oh yeah, strobe That's positioning is, is can be absolutely critical. Equally as equally as effective in yeah. some scenarios. And, and you know, I, you don't need the best equipment to get amazing photos. I nope. have folks with the Sony RX100. It's a point-and-shoot camera that, sh that takes pictures that are five times out of its weight class. I think, I think the key caveat to that is know what your camera is capable of. Yes. And know its limitations and stay yes. within those. Well, you know, equipment does matter in that there's a certain baseline level of tool that you need. If you're wanting to take nudibranch photos... You should have a macro lens, or you should have a diopter that you could flip in front of your camera in order to to take that photo, because you're not going to be able to get close enough, focus close enough to get that rhinophore shot or to get the eye in focus if you don't have that minimum level. But but once you've got that minimum level, you know I've seen amazing photos with the RX100. I've seen amazing photos with the Canon, you know, lowest end DSLR. You know, you, you don't need a DSLR to take amazing shots. No, and as, uh, the, I think the mirrorless revolution for underwater photography has happened. Oh, sure. I'm not even talking about – you don't even need yeah. an interchangeable lens camera to take yeah. amazing shots. Now with these, with these wet mount lenses that people have, uh, the stuff that comes out of, of some of my friends' cameras is just stunning. But I think it's I, – I do think it, it is about knowing your camera really yes. well. Yes, yes. Knowing where it will shine, yes, and what type of photos those are. Yeah, pra practice, practice, practice. Look at other people's photos for ideas and inspiration. Oh I yeah, that that's absolutely invaluable. And if you can find out what they're using, so you know. Yeah, yeah. If you can find out their their settings, what they're using, that sort of thing, um, and ask questions, man. Most most folks are friendly, um, you know. And, and when you learn, try to pay it forward to the next guy because everybody had to learn. Yeah, absolutely. At some point. So. And, and that sometimes is the biggest, most daunting thing for somebody trying to get into underwater photography is, is there is a learning curve that if you don't have help, you can wallow yeah. in uh, poor outcomes for a very long time. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, the underwater photography guide uh, that, that Blue Water Photo puts out for free is great. Um, 
uh, Brent Duran does a bunch of videos that are Brent great. Duran's great. You know, there's and and talk to people on the boat. If you see somebody with a that looks like they've dropped a few thousand bucks on their camera rig, they probably did. Yeah, no, no, they. And that's probably not even the first time they've done it. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah, you know, they they they're they should be friendly and should answer questions. I know I'm always having to talk to somebody. It's better if you wait until after they're fed, though. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> always. Wait, wait, wait on till the, dive you know, boat. the snots wiped off their face, yeah. and you know. Pick your time to enter into those questions at a right time where it's calm and good. Yeah. Maybe not like right before they're about to jump in or yes. come in right out of the water. And, and when you're sharing your photos, pick. You know, no more than 10 to 15 of your best photos. Don't dump your entire camera on the Facebook. Because if you're looking for people to, like, give you feedback or like and comment and say which ones they like, like... Which of these 16 pictures of Garibaldi's do you think is the best one, Drew? That, that are all of their tails <laughs> swimming away? Yeah, exactly. Like, like that, that's kind of a respect for people's time sort of thing. That is interesting. I've never thought about it that way. I don't do that for a lot of reasons. Uh, probably, probably shameful pride of like hoping that people like my photos sure but like it is a good point like when you dump everything and be like hey which one's the best yeah you're asking people to look at a lot of photos that maybe you didn't put as much effort into even sorting them before you ask them right. that's a good point i i like that and, and also realize too on that note that for every one photo you see of mine or of ian's or of brent's or of anybody there's 10, thousands 20, of <laughs> 50 100 that keep going up for Ian <laughs> I mean, or, or more that were garbage or or that just yeah. had some problem so you're seeing the cream of the crop after processing after you know sorting after cropping after everything so don't be discouraged that it looks like all of their shots came out amazing cuz i Guarantee you, guarantee you, they didn't. I always like it when I do a dive and I come back and I have like five photos and everybody's like, "Wow, the dive looked amazing." And I was like, "You didn't see the other hundred. <laughs> like, you didn't. Just trust me. Like, we got lucky on some of these. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I, all good. So, some of the dives, I will take a hundred to three hundred shots yep. in a dive, depending on what I'm shooting, especially if it's a new break or something like that, because a little bit of surge. Uh, and you're, you're missing the rhinophores, or you're missing the eyes, or, or something like Especially that. Especially when you get into the world of macro, yeah. you want to take a lot of shots of your subjects, because you, you think you know what's in focus, but you don't always know. Yeah. And pick a different angle. So shoot it from one angle. I, yes. I ran into this just the other day. I ran into a clown nudibranch. Oh, sure. A beautiful yeah. white uh, critter that has like almost like orange highlights on the ends of its parts. Yep. And I thought I was taking the photo from the right direction. Uh, rhinophores were on the opposite side, so, <laughs> so I got nothing but butt shots. I'm a, apparently I'm a butt guy. I, I, this is what I found out with that photo. I, but yeah. it was he was a tiny little guy, only had a 60 millimeter lens, and I wasn't really checking my shots afterwards. Sure. I thought I had it down. I got cocky, and so you know. So, so I, that, that's a good point. No, <clears throat> know the interesting parts of your subject. So if it's a nudibranch, you gotta get the rhinophores in focus. Those those are the basically the eyes. Of, yeah, it's of, the most iconic part of the animal. Right. Right. It's what people will recognize, pick up, find interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, generally speaking, you need the eye of the subject, no matter what type of animal or person it is. If the eye's not in focus, you know. Well, we're naturally drawn to faces. Yes. 
and whatever we identify as a face of an animal, yes. that's what we're going to be looking at. And that's what you want to yes. focus 100%. Yeah. Now, now, maybe the one exception to that might be the teeth of a shark. Because that's that, that there are certain circumstances where that's what people care about. I think I think there's definitely like some things that are outside of that, but you know when there's outside yeah, of that. Yeah. Like teeth of a shark, you, you know, sometimes you focus dare I say like you objectify a specific body part of a critter because sure. that particular body part is so interesting. Yes, or, or it's a hammerhead and you can't get both eyes in focus cuz they're good 3 luck. feet apart. Good luck. How good is your wide angle? <laughs> right, right. Um but yeah, I think that's true. But you know, there's so many tips and so many stylistic choices you can sure. make. It's never anything. And we, I think we both agree that it's a, a journey that we will continue down oh, yeah. endlessly. There, there's more that I have to learn still than I have already learned. Oh, it's, it's definitely an experience where the more you find out about it, the more you realize you need to know. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, Curve on curve on curve. Yep. But it's great. Um, thank you for coming in. Sure. Those, that was awesome advice for everybody who's listening. Um, if you have any more questions, email him. No, I'm just kidding. Well, my, my contact info is <laughs> on my website. I'm happy to chat with you. Uh, well, Drew's a, a benevolent individual who will, who will entertain you. And uh, he was great today. Uh, thank you so much for coming in. Absolutely. And uh, everybody, please check out his stuff. Drew Wilson's website again is drewwilsonphotography.com. You can check out some of the pictures he talked about and some of the ones that he didn't even mention but are amazing. Uh, heck, you can even buy some. Like I said, they are amazing. Uh, I might go buy some. Uh, if you want to see some more content that goes with this as, as well as embedded pictures into videos so that you can see what we're talking about as we're talking about it, please check out YouTube. And we are putting both stills and videos up on Instagram. So check out what we're doing. Subscribe. Subscribing always helps this channel bring you more interesting people who are of ocean folk. Take care. Be safe. See you guys next time.